Welcome to the In Search of More podcast. I am your host, Ellie Nash. Join me weekly on my quest for more, more from myself and more from this world. We'll see you on the other side. All right, welcome, Dan. Thank you. I'm sitting here with Dan Brule, a, a breath worker. Yeah. Is that yeah. a good title for you? Yeah, you know, I think I'm, I'm a breath worker because, um, well, I'm really after, I, I want to master something in life. So I didn't want something too difficult. I figured I'd start with something really easy, and I never got past it. Because I realized, you know, on the way to mastering your breath, you have to master your body, you master your emotions, you master your mind. And so you, you, along the path of breath mastery, you bump into anything that's in your way on any other level. Right. So, it gets tough, tough to master your breath in fear. It gets tough to master your breath in discomfort, unless you master those emotions. Yeah, I mean, some of the lessons were really hard early on. I was in the, in the military, just accidentally, you know, we didn't have breathing training. We were just left to our own, uh, you know, whatever. Uh, but a couple of times when I was at the end of my rope, it was the breath that got me through. Just and intuitively. Yeah, just like nothing. When, when all you can think about is breathing and you can't think about anything <laughs> else, life gets very simple. You know, like I had a couple of near drowning experiences, and that really turned me on to the breath. In the, mili in the military? Yeah. yeah. Well, as a, as a teenager, as a young child, I had two near drowning experiences. And then in the military, I actually had to be resuscitated. And so, you know, you don't know what you got till it's gone. And so I, the, those first few breaths after I had, uh, had checked out, they were just so ecstatic. I, it was like I discovered the ecstatic nature of the breath that I had, everyday living, I had never encountered it, you know. Um, and, the, and you can't, I, there's no other way to talk about it except in spiritual terms, which is why I like breath work because agnostics and atheists and everything, they have such an experience, they got no choice but to kind of reach for religious language to <laughs> kind of express it. Uh, it's so profound and so deep and... Um, you know, I had a couple of experiences uh, early on where it's like I wasn't breathing air. I was breathing bubbles of light, and they were bursting everywhere inside of me. It was ecstatic. And, uh, uh, and you know, when something like that happens, you want any everybody you love to, like, experience it. Right. <laughs> and so you become a missionary. But, you know, how, how do you teach it? You, you know, like, I drowned, and I was resuscitated. Well hard to find people to sign up for a seminar that <laughs> requires that. Uh, you know, I, I was in jail and I kind of hit bottom. Uh, say, you know, when you really, when you hit bottom, right. there's no place to go but up. And I, I crashed and popped out the bottom of bottom in a way, you know. And the same kind of experience uh, that kept coming back to me in, in the breath. Um, it's just miraculous. For what, me, it's always been like a miraculous relationship. Why do you say there's no other way to explain it other than using spiritual terms? Is there not a scientific um, <sighs> Well, reason? you know, science can kind of confirm and validate intuitive things. I mean, you know, yogis have been practicing things for a thousand years, sure. but nobody practices it until you have some scientific evidence-based, you know, oh, and now it's okay to do it because, well, <laughs> oh, science says it's okay. I think we need to be our own scientists, you know. Say more. That's what yogis are. Basically, yogis are 
you're ex you know you're you're exploring you're you're experimenting with your own body with your own energy with you with life and you you know your your life is a laboratory and you're you know we're hacking our way into things um and the breath is this amazing biohacking tool which is one of the things that makes it so popular um but you know there was a time when being being fast and being strong that's who you survive and the law of the jungle mm -hmm. and then along came smart and then <laughs> and then being fast and strong you know smart trumps fast and strong but that's still if you look at the average school education that's we're training kids to be fast and strong and smart but i think now and going into the future is who's most conscious that's who's going to survive I mean, some of the worst things in the world are being perpetrated by some of the smartest people. And so it's not enough. And, it, and I think breathing awakens people to consciousness. Do you mean that on an individual level or a collective level? That if we yeah, don't we'll get conscious? Both. Yeah, both. Because, uh, you know, if you become conscious of who you are, then you're conscious of your connection to everything and everyone else. And anything that can light up that, can, it's not just, oh, we're all connected, we're all one. It's a pretty spiritual thought, but it's actually a fact in reality. I mean, we're all sucking off the same bubble of air in this planet. And, and, the, and the air that's in me was in you a couple of minutes ago. We can't hide from each other. We, we, you know, the breath literally connects everything. It's, it's in the bird that flew over yesterday. It's going to be in the dog walking down the street tomorrow. So mm -hmm. we're all sucking off the same bubble of air. And so it brings this idea of we're all connected to a very real and very practical and very factual reality that we are where the breath is what connects us it connects my mind to my body it connects me to my source it connects me to other people it connects my conscious mind to my subconscious mind so the breath is this ultimate bridge it's this ultimate natural healer it's a natural force and the more we awaken to it the more we awaken to life and who we are and our potential so, so when you're talking about breath work um my experience with you and it goes back a number of years because i had a coach coach mike rosenfeld who oh, yeah. um, i've been in therapy from let's say 2008 till 2017 on and off for a number of different um reasons and then at some point in time i was going through a business challenge and i just felt like a therapist was not who i needed to talk to and i started interviewing business coaches and they gave me lists of stuff to, they wanted me to fill out. And I was like, I called you because I was overwhelmed and now you want to overwhelm me with paperwork? <laughs> no thanks. And then I was on a trip to Israel and a guy tells me, um, just, he was a guy who lived in Miami who if I saw him in Miami, I would have never spoken to him. But in Israel, I was like, oh, I know you. you know, and we sat chatting and he ran a business as well. I'm not sure what he's up to now. And he said to me, you know, a couple of years ago, one of his children had a drowning accident. And it was at the same point in time that his business was exploding. Mm -hmm. And he kind of had to do both at the same time. His, he went from, I think, tens of employees to over 100 employees. Business was going real fast, and he had just lost a child to a drowning accident. And he said this coach, Mike Rosenfeld, helped him through it. And I didn't even need to interview Mike. I already knew he was hired. Like, he's the guy, mm -hmm. <laughs> he's the guy I need to talk to. So I still remember the first time I met him. I met him at um, the Four Seasons. And he says, uh, Four Seasons in Surfside, and he says to me, um, okay, the first thing we're going to do is you're going to follow these breathing patterns. And before we spoke, before I we went into anything, I did fill out some questionnaire online for him as we just sat and breathed for 10 or 15 minutes. And he said, now what's up? And we started meeting twice a week, probably for about two years. 
and he did this. Every time we sat, it was breathing and then talking, breathing and then talking. Mm -hmm. And then every once in a while, if more was going on, he's like, all right, lie down. Now let's do a longer um, breathwork uh, experience. And he would constantly mention your name dur during it, recommended that I read your book, Just Breathe. And, you know, a lot of what he taught me um, was taught in your name, in Dan Brule. So it's mm -hmm. cool to come full, full circle and uh, mm -hmm. be sitting here with you. So thanks for that. Yeah. Yeah, that's the idea. I mean, breathing is like cheating. It's so easy. We overlook it. We underestimate it. We think, ah, you know, breathing, schmeeting, <laughs> ah, what's the thing? But, you know, I haven't found any limits. I'm really, uh, um, uh, you know, what's the next, what's possible? This episode is brought to you by OKClarity.com. OKClarity.com is the upscale version of ZocDoc for the Jewish world. It is the place for any Jew to find an excellent therapist, psychiatrist, nutritionist, or coach. And it's completely free to use. Every professional on OK Clarity is vetted and experienced in working, working with the Jewish community. So they understand and respect cultural nuances like Shabbos, Shaduchim, and everything in between. What I love most about the OK Clarity platform is how easy it is to use their search and filter system to find the type of professional that you are looking for. They have dozens of providers to take insurance, and you can watch an intro video of each professional to get a better sense of who they are before taking that first step to reach out, which I get. It's hard to take that first step, but many of us have, have found that to be so very worth it. If this sounds overwhelming, they offer a short form for you to complete, and their specialists will recommend the great professional for you, all anonymously and for free. Also, in browsing their Instagram, I found content that I loved, fun and impactful. They are also regularly hosting Instagram live sessions featuring different experts discussing pressing mental health and wellness topics and answering community questions, all anonymously and for free. So if you're not already following OK Clarity on Instagram and you're using Instagram, you definitely want to. Last but not least, if you have WhatsApp, OK Clarity has an incredible WhatsApp status with over 8,000 followers. And yes, admitted, I am one of them. Their WhatsApp is a free way to improve your mental health and they post humor, so, what do they say? Laughter is the best medicine. Side note, side note, maybe the main note, if you're listening to this and you are a wellness professional, a nutritionist, a psychiatrist, a therapist, a coach, and you're not already on okclarity.com, here's an important reminder for you that this is a great place to be if you want to reach relevant um, members in the Jewish community, those who need your support and expertise. And one more thing. OKClarity.com is offering um, discounts, or in some cases, um, free sessions for those impacted by the war in Israel. Reach out to them. Get in touch. Addressing our mental health is the most important thing we can do, especially in difficult times. So, so talk about some of that, because the breath that you seem to go to in... Um, Breathing seems different than a lot of the other well-known practitioners. Yeah, I've never had a, you know, I don't believe in this cookie stamp kind of thing, you know, like, okay, breathe in for four, hold for six, exhale for seven, and like, there's a million of those techniques. And the, what are the fundamentals? What are we really working with when we're working with breath and trying to, trying to dig down and get to those real basics? And it's consciousness, right? So um, I, for me, consciousness and energy it's probably, let's say it's the same thing, uh, and and spirituality, it's all it's all it's all the one. The most conscious people I've ever met have been the most spiritual people I've ever met. Can we and define conscious? Huh? Can we define conscious a little bit? 
not driven by habits and patterns, um, uh, not a victim of your DNA or your programming or your conditioning. Your un, you know, for the first few years of our life, we're basically given programs that, that, uh, about who we are and what's possible. And so by the time you start to think for yourself, you've already swallowed so much stuff. And most people never released, who would I be if I hadn't received those programs that limit who I am? And so consciousness is about waking up to who we really are and what's possible. Is another word maybe choicelessness, like regaining our choice? Not choicelessness, but choice. Yeah, because if you don't even know you're, if you don't even, you know, I can choose between a Republican and a Democrat, great. You call that right. a choice, you know? So like, you know, you might, every, we might be in a prison where the, the walls are so far away that you don't even know you're in prison until you wander off someday and realize, uh-oh, I can't go beyond this thing. I never knew, I'm stuck. Right. So, you know, waking up to our, who we really are. Consciousness, I think to me, is waking up to who we really are in essence and what's really true. And, and, um, and you know, we j we've swallowed a lot of things and we just, we just go on them we, and we never question. I was raised Catholic. Everybody's got their own history and religious mm -hmm. programming. I mean, if I would have been born in a different family with a different religion, I would be an avid, I would, you know, I would be believing whatever. That, so, you know, I had a couple of experiences as a child, just sort of just questioning everything. I mean, everything, you know? <laughs> right. and, uh, and that's dangerous. That can be really, that, that It's scary be, for sure. Oh, and it's, yeah, it's scary, you know, but, but uh, I had experiences and there was nobody to talk to about it. And, and no, you know, I didn't even know how to talk about it myself. So something like beyond, uh, beyond the mind, let's say, beyond the rational, you know, two plus two is four, and they, the part of our brain that balances our checkbook, that might not be the best part of our mind to drive the rest of our life. It's useful in its place. Right. But, um, and I think most people, consciousness is about ex literally, the, you know, the. The 60s thing about expanding consciousness. That's actually quite accurate. That, you know, just getting out of the box of I know. You know, you, you can't learn anything if you're in that I know box. And consciousness is about um, being awake. I mean, the Buddha talked about it that mm -hmm. way. Wow, what happened to you? I was sleeping and I just woke up. And that's it. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. But a lot of these terms are used to the point of being overused that they sometimes yeah. could... Well, even love. Meaning. I love my Nikes. I right. love pizza. What are we talking about? <laughs> you know? How about love as our nature? How about love as the essence of life? And, that, and you know, it sounds nice, but then how do you live from that? You know? So breathing makes a lot of spiritual principles. It's like a biological experience of God. It's a, it's a cellular experience of divine energy. It's not intellectual and philosophical. It really brings it home. And now you have to deal with, okay, wow, I didn't, this energy is amazing. Like <laughs> it's almost frightening. It's so powerful when we really touch our potential. It's scary. It's hot. It's, it's, it can be dangerous. It can blow up your life. So that's why yoga was invented, right? Hatha yoga and those were invented to kind of prepare the body and mind for this infusion of infinite energy. Otherwise, you short circuit and you'll <laughs> implode. But which often happens in a breath work. Right. It happens a little bit in breath work every time. Yeah. That's the body getting accustomed 
to more energy than it's than it's used to. Got it. Yeah. So, so your recommendation to someone um, who's interested is not read the science; it's become the science experiment. Go in and do it and see what happens. Yeah, I mean, I, I was teaching size of relief in 1973. I think I started. I was in the military diving, and it just was so clear to me that when a person, for example, when they were locked up in pain, and then the pain went away. <sighs> they would take this breath. They didn't think about it. Mm. They didn't make it happen. It was a normal response to a change in our state. Mm -hmm. And if a person was stuck in fear and a panic, <sighs> and then the fear leaves, what's the first thing that happens? <sighs> For the first time, the breath could open and expand and it could flow again. And so I saw that happen often enough that I thought, that's the thing I need to guard against. I need to make sure that I can always expand and relax, and then I'm going to be in a good state. And I got to make sure that I don't my breath doesn't get jammed up and stuck, because when that happens, that's then you know you're at the end of the rope, and then there's nothing. It's like when when you're at the end of your rope, what do you do? Call your mother, get on the radio? No, you turn to your breath, and as soon as you turn to your breath, you're back in the present moment. You've you've changed your focus, and and now. Things, micro goals get real clear. Okay, I'm going to go from this tree to that rock. Or, you know, like life gets very simple. I have a friend, Mark Devine, who talked about when his parachute, somebody got caught up. He was in, in he's a seal and somebody got caught up in his parachute. Mm -hmm. He didn't know, just came down on top of him, tangled up. He had to cut himself loose, cut himself free. And he had like seven seconds till he hit the ground. And the first thing he thought of was his breath. And as soon as he thought of his breath, he did the right thing. His training kicked in, and uh, he hit the ground about 60 miles an hour, right. but uh, no injuries. And you know, the first thing he thought of, what about that other guy? Is he okay? I mean, that's the kind of people I like to work with. You know, <laughs> like like Tony Robbins. I did a th I did a session with Tony Robbins, and whenever he learns something and helps him, he's like compelled to pull somebody into the room <laughs> and teach it to him. He can't live with it for even five minutes without sharing it. You know. <laughs> And I've worked with like very seasoned martial artists. And because I learned really early, if you can break a brick, you can mend a bone. It's the same energy. If I can throw you to the ground, I can build up your immune system. It's the same energy used in a different way. So I like working with people who've got a lot of chi. They've done a lot of work on themselves. And then a little tweak, a little refinement, and they parlay that into a huge advantage. And breath work is one of those fields where just a little tweak, and you can get a lot out of it. Is there a story that comes to mind, an example that inspired you? Well, my first real kind of miracle nature of the breath was as an x-ray technician. And um, a chest x-ray is one of the easiest x-rays to take. And so as a student, I was getting all the chest x-rays. And when you take a chest x-ray, you tell the person, take in a deep breath, hold it, and click, you take their picture. Because it's going to be blurry if they're breathing. So you had to watch the person, make sure that they were holding their breath when you took the mm -hmm. x-ray. And I gave those same simple instructions to, I don't know, in two years, 3,000 people maybe? Everybody did something different. The closer I watched them, the more it was like, the breath is like speaking to me what they call the full breath, what they went through to accomplish it, the expression <laughs> on their face, the muscles they used. And it was like, holy cow, the, their relationship to their breath is a reflection and an expression of the, their relationship to their body, to life. And so 
breath became my focus because if I watched a person's breath, I knew what they were thinking, I knew what they were feeling. You couldn't lie to me, you couldn't pretend because most people, you can, you can put a smile on even though you're miserable. You can look tough even though you're scared shitless. And so we've learned to disguise our posture, our expression, our tone of voice, and whatever. but no, very few breathing masters on the planet. And nobody's learned how to disguise their breathing. So it's a very pure. And you're saying that even if they did, then their state would be different. Yeah, yeah. And that's like new, right? So every psychological state has a corresponding breathing pattern. Every emotional state has an associated breathing pattern. And when your state changes, your breathing pattern changes. Well, that's the, that's the beauty of breath work. It's a two-way street. You, you identify breathing patterns that are associated with high spiritual states or very clear, relaxed, focused states. And then you engage in those breathing patterns. They're already associated with those states. So once you identify... Just reverse engineer pattern, it. Huh? Just reverse engineer it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Got yeah. it. So, you know, when somebody's in the flow and they're in the zone, study their breathing pattern that moment. And now you know when you want to get in the flow state, get into that breathing pattern. So that was, for me, it was like a no-brainer. So most... So with the, the extra example is interesting. So what did, you, what did you do with that practically? Was it just a learning? So I started, I, I can listen to what people say, and I can kind of, they were, how do you feeling? Fine. Uh, I don't know. You know, I look at their posture, body read, but I, I get a lot more information by studying a person's breath. I can really, I feel like I can get inside them. I feel like I, I can feel what they're feeling. I am... Um, and so uh, it's, it's a very pure, it's a way of connecting, really, and connecting in a very honest and very deep way. But it's a language that you have to learn. Most people haven't learned the language of their own breath. They've never observed their own. When you're angry, the last thing you would think to do is focus on your breathing. You're focusing on who's making you angry, why you're angry. But if you can focus on your breathing, aha, now you identify a breathing pattern that might keep you locked into anger. And how uniform... Um, are these like for example with fear I guess we'd say everyone has a shortness of breath but there could be variations perhaps yeah it's, it's not always I mean it's uh, simple but not easy it's uh, there are generally I see fear is like <gasps> it's up here <gasps> and anger <sighs> is down here so that's the top of the inhale or the bottom of the exhale and so somebody who's afraid is like, <laughs> you go, calm down, calm down, you're okay. You're literally trying to get them, get out, get out from up here and ah, calm down. Somebody who's angry, going, hey, lighten up, lighten up, you know. <laughs> so it all relate for me, it relates to the breath. Every, it's, almost, it's, it's more than a metaphor. It's a metaphor, but it's much more than a metaphor. Um, uh, it, it, and, and one of the, you know, you can't, anybody without any experience can see that when somebody's upset and panicky and ang anxious, that their breathing is, is 100%. Is, yeah, it's chaotic, it's locked, it's shallow, it's constricted, it's probably too rapid. And so when you restore the natural pattern of breathing, you bring your mind and your emotions and your body back into equilibrium. And the breath is the, is the handle for, for doing right. that. So rather than trying to fight your thoughts or fight your body you 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 hack into it through the breath the body i could tell you know relax 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 and it doesn't work but if you if you breathe in a certain way the body goes aha it catches it and the same thing with the mind you know so you get a handle on the breath that's how you get a handle on your physiology your psychology your emotions your energy 
most of the techniques you talk about in your book, are those ones that you've developed through observation and practice or traveling around and learning it from different groups? Yeah, I westernized a lot of Eastern Qigong and, and, uh, and Pranayama and Kriya Yoga and those things. I, I kind of try to westernize them. I, I even deliberately avoid all the yogic names for the breathing exercises and techniques. And Because wh why do I have to learn a whole other language to learn how to breathe, you know? <laughs> um, so I try to make it, I make it more accessible to Westerners. I think, you know, when, you know, the Eastern, con when I was in India, actually, the first time I went to India, we were at a banquet before we left, and without exception, every single Westerner was dressed like an Indian, and every Indian was in a suit and tie. It was like, <laughs> oh, this is interesting. <laughs> and so I think that's what we need. I mean, they need to, you know, they need what we got, we need what they got, and the combination makes it better than either. When I was in China, they have a choice between traditional Chinese medicine or modern medicine. And they've done enough studies that the combination of both is better than either one by itself. So, you know, we combine ancient techniques with modern science and you have breakthroughs that were never available through either one by itself. Understood. In terms of what you're talking about and transformational breathwork, how are they similar, how are they different? Well, there's a spectrum of breath work, right? On one end of the spectrum, you have like oxygen advantage, buteco, deep breathing is death, you know, and lots of breath holding and strictly nasal breathing and shallow breathing. And, and then on the other end, you've got the transformational, cathartic, explosive kind of hyperventilation and holotropic and rebirthing and that. So it's a whole spectrum. And, I, and there are some people who are just afraid of the other end, that fiery end of transformation. And then some people who are off, they're a little too, and they need to come down and connect with basic physiology and, you know. So I, you know, there's a whole spectrum and I like training people to get comfortable with the whole spectrum across there and don't get stuck on one side or the other. Um, and, you know, I make up breathing techniques and like when I first went to Russia, they thought, oh, you know, I was in 1980. I had been doing this stuff for, uh, it was 1990 when I went to Russia for the first time. I had been already teaching, you know, for 15 years, but I, I didn't know I was going to go back. So I was using them as my guinea pigs. I was trying stuff out because mm -hmm. I figured, well, they're never going to see me again. <laughs> and so um, I, I, my work is a combination of stuff I learned and shit that I just made up and turned out to be really cool and really worked. And sometimes when I'm teaching, I'll say something, and I'll go, wow, that's really good. I wish I'd have thought of that. It just like comes out <laughs> of me, you know? <laughs> so I'm listening sometimes yeah. myself. And I'm like, wow, well, I'm gonna remember that, you know? <laughs> it's a combination. You learn, you know, there's always somebody above you, always somebody below you in the ladder, and you're pushing somebody up or pulling somebody up or somebody's pushing you up. I feel like I'm part of a real ancient lineage of people who are just devoted to the breath. I mean, I have, I feel sorry for people who don't know why they're here or what their purpose in life, I have no doubt at all. It's I mean, from when I was in kindergarten, it was obvious what my central focus in life and what my path was. It was connected to the breath. My, you know, five years old in kindergarten and the Catholic priest comes in and talks about Genesis and God takes dust of the earth and forms the body of man and breathes into the nostrils of man the breath of life. Holy crap, that was the most exciting thing I had ever heard. I was like, you know, a little kid, the imagination is like, 
like God is breathing into us. Like, why, why isn't everybody excited? I mean, <laughs> listen to this. This is amazing. And, uh, and so, you know, it was just some, I was lit up as a child about the miraculous nature of the breath. And uh, how, can you, how can you not, you know, how can you live an ordinary life if, if you know, if you really experience that God is breathing into you? Like, I mean, like you breathing. Bubbles. What did you call it before? Breathing gold bubbles? Did you say I mean, bubbles of light? Bubbles of light. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, not molecules of air, but <laughs> bubbles of light. Yeah. So you see your experiences. Did you say three experiences of near drowning? Yeah, two as a teenager, and then one in the military, and my my equipment failed, and uh, I I totally I had shallow, what, what's called shallow water blackout. I mean, I I saw the I I didn't think I was going to make it. Actually, I was stuck down there with the with the newbie. We were tied together at the waist. My equipment failed, and we were supposed to exchange. You know, he was supposed to give me his regulator. We were going to buddy breathe up to the surface, and and he panicked. And uh, first of all, I you know I'm giving him the signals. I'm, you know, I need air. I'm, it's already been a while. I you can't take the regulator out of the other guy's mouth. They have to give it to you. So I'm trying to, and he's looking at me like a puppy dog, like he's confused. I'm like, what are you confused about? I need your and then finally, he kind of got it, and he took it out, and like very hesitantly, because he was afraid, you know, and he took it out, and I didn't even get it in my mouth, and he pulled it back, and I went, oh, man, this guy, I can't, I'm on my own. <laughs> I cut myself loose, and I went up, I headed for the surface, and you're supposed to stay ahead of your bubbles. I mean, you know, you don't let, you know, don't get ahead of your bubbles. Why? Well... Is because like a, bubble in your, yeah, a bubble at depth, as you go up, the bubble gets bigger. So right. if you're holding your breath, I mean, all those bubbles of nitrogen oh, are going to expand. That's what, that's what the bends is, decompression sickness, right? Um, you get bubbles, and depending on where they are, you can have a neurological hit or a pain or it's in a joint or whatever. So I worked in a recompression chamber. I was the deep-sea diver. I did underwater rescue. Um, and that particular time... I realized I, I was blowing out too much. I, you know, I was over. I, I was afraid to get ahead of my bubbles. I was deliberately going slower than I really wanted to. I just wanted to climb out of the water, and I and I started to like. I was afraid to even think that. Uh oh, I'm not going to make it. You know, and then I saw the silhouette of the bottom of the boat, and my and I had the thought, oh, I'm going to make it. And just when I thought that, it was like the you know the shutter on a camera. Just my vision just went. And that's the last thing. I just blacked out. And I, they told me afterwards that I bobbed up to the surface. They pulled me into the boat. It was resuscitating me. And I, I went through. I was in and out a couple of times. Uh, but then finally, when I was out, when I was breathing on my own, the thing that alerted me was this weird noise. Um, and, I and it was such a weird noise that it kind of like shook me awake. And I'm like, what is that noise? Like, and it was me breathing. My throat was all tight. And when I realized, oh, I'm breathing. And then when I realized, oh, I'm breathing, something in me relaxed. And then my throat opened up. And that's when this, phew, man, I was flooded with this ecstatic energy. It was orgasmic. It was, oh, man, I was like, phew. My borders dissolved. Uh, you know, I was a, a genuine spiritual experience right. yeah, yeah, a peak definitely a peak experience and uh and i laughed and i cried for five days after that everything made me laugh i needed to hug everybody and hug everything i, I was in a totally different i thought maybe 
I had a brain damage. I thought yeah, something, maybe I went with oxygen too much, but then I got used to it. <laughs> <laughs> now you still in that state. <laughs> I got, it became normal now. And I, and, uh, yeah. People have no idea what's going on inside of me. You know, yeah. like if I'm not careful, I just like explode with this. So, so I've, I've learned how to just kind of be normal and be cool. You know, when I was earlier, it was because I was scared shitless and I didn't want to show it. But then after my drowning experience, like I'm so ecstatic, but it's not acceptable to like show it, you know? So, <laughs> so the same thing that I didn't have to really correct anything. It, it, I applied it. Right, and it just it, became something else to... Yeah, and it had a, better, a higher use for the thing, yeah. <laughs> so I'm going along right now, and I see old friends that I've known for the... Oh, I've known Brule for 50 years. like, and So I just drop into how they know me. I don't have any problem with that. I, I stopped trying to convert everybody in my family. I, I've managed over the years. I've worn most of them down. My grandmother was the first one to really uh, show that I could wear them down. She goes... I, one day I listened to her talking to some other lady at a bingo thing, and oh, what does your grandson do? And she used to be comfortable, oh, he's an x-ray technician, or oh, he's a diver in the Navy. But then when I started doing this breathing stuff and I was an Indian, she didn't, she didn't know how to talk <laughs> about me at all. And then one day, and she was really scared, she's very Catholic, and I, I wasn't following any of the Catholic rules anymore, and I'm gonna go to hell because of it and everything. And, uh, but I heard her one time go, so what does your grandson do? She goes, I don't know, but the kids have grown up so healthy and so happy, so whatever it is, I guess it's okay. So <laughs> she used my kids were my proof that what I was up to was okay. And that's <laughs> when she finally accepted my lifestyle because she just didn't know how to talk about me. And that was, that's what I realized. That's what the real problem Did was. Did you offer to show it to her, to demonstrate? Oh, yeah, I've, I've, I've rebirthed everybody in my family. What were some of the uh, resistances that you had to deal with? Some of the what? Like th some of the resistance. All you're asking someone to do is breathe. Well, you know, everybody knows me, and so how can you be anything special? You know, I've known this guy for. You're always a prophet. You're never a prophet in your own town. Like there's an expression about that, right? I go to Moscow, and they think, wow, you know, he's from so far away. He must really be good. So I kind of took advantage of that. You know, <laughs> you you go far away from home, and people just assume that you're bigger than you are back in your own neighborhood everybody knows you what's so special about him so that's why one of the reasons i like traveling and plus you know you don't have to be the way people expect you to be it's really hard to grow and change if you're in some families and communities because it's like betrayal it's like you're and so getting out of your normal atmosphere and away from home and away from work some things are possible and I, I take advantage of that in my teaching. I make people come to Mexico and camp, for example, you know, or I take them to India, get them out of their everyday life so that ah, there's, there's, a post, there's a space for something that couldn't right. happen if you were in your everyday patterns, you know. But people have to be willing, and that's one of the things about breath work is like, don't come to breath work unless you're willing to change. I mean, people want things to change, but they don't want to change themselves, and breath work is it's a route to changing yourself. And uh, some people would rather not change, they just hope that their situation changes, that other people change. But uh, breathwork is scary because it's, it's about change and change, the first thing that comes up is fear. Whenever you're growing, I think if you're not feeling fear, it's because you're not growing. Uh, and so, we, so then how do you manage that fear? Breathwork gives us a way to manage 
what normally would hold people back. You know, when I was at the end of my rope running one time, when I was in training as a deep sea diver, and and uh, I was falling behind, and I'm starting to have what do you call like performance degrading self talk. Mm -hmm. I don't know if I can make it. Oh shit, I'm getting really tired. Huh? Like that ain't the kind of stuff you want to be thinking at a time mm -hmm. like that, even though it seems natural to think it. And I had this guy, Doc Kane, who slowed down on purpose and got on the side of me. And that was a lesson in itself. Just somebody else's presence, how that helps us to like keep going. You know, there's somebody with me. And then he said, hey, let's breathe, let's breathe together. I want to breathe together. So we're running, dun, 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 dun. and we just started breathing in. And him breathing and us breathing together, within a couple of minutes, I was totally re-energized. I broke through that wall and I was, I was the front of the line. I was ahead of everybody. So for me, that was like, there's another chunk of proof. You turn to your breathing in those moments. Nothing else helps or works. So, and now I'm trying to help people find, get to a place in yourself where you're really stuck or really in pain and then find a way to get through it with your breath. And wow, now you've got something that will help you for the rest of your life. It doesn't matter whether it's something emotional or psychological or physical. You've really got a way to, to, to get through something, to manage something, to overcome something. And, and it's natural. We all have the ability. We just haven't been forced to learn it, you know. Then one of the things in the special forces training is that when you think you have no energy left, you still have 40% juice in your battery. You just haven't learned how to access it. I used to have a Volkswagen bug and it had a little reserve tank. And when you were out of <laughs> gas, you flipped this little lever. You had one more gallon, which meant 40 miles or whatever. Everybody's got that. When you think you can't go a step further or you, you're totally lost and you don't know what, it's just you're out, you haven't connected to something in yourself. And that should be your main priority. Connect to your source. Connect to your center. And the breath takes us there. The breath is a thread. If you follow it, it takes you to your source. So practically, how would someone do that? Is that something that can be taught in a couple minutes here? Yeah, or? Three, three basic things. You could say breath control would be one. I mean, you get control of your breathing. If you're, if you're holding your breath, get your breath moving. If you're hyperventilating, slow down. So just get control of your breath. Don't try to control anything else until you've controlled your breath, right? And, but control, uh, the term has limitations because right. if I'm in control, that means that something higher can't come through me. I'm not open to something. I'm trying to do it on my own. So it's, it's a useful word, but I, I'm trying to iffy about it. Um, awareness. What am I thinking? What's happening in my body? Where's my heart rate? What's my breathing? Where's the strongest feeling in my body? What's my posture? You know, what's the quality of my thoughts? So that's all part of awakening, applying meditative awareness, not analyzing, not trying to understand, not trying to think, but just becoming conscious, aware. That's like, that, that creates miracles in and of itself. You know, if, I'm, if there's a hole in the ground in front of me and I'm aware of it, I just walk around it. But if I'm not aware of it, holy crap. So awareness is like the first step. Become aware of your body, your heartbeat, your posture, your thoughts, your attitude, your emotions, your, you know, that's, that's waking up. For me, that's waking up. And then the next skill is learning how to let go. We can't move forward until we let go of where we're at. So, and if you haven't learned how to let go of your breath, don't be surprised if you can't let go of pain. You haven't learned how to let go. 
if, if you haven't learned how to let go of your exhale, don't be surprised if you can't let go of fear or thoughts going around in your head. You haven't learned the energetic skill of letting go. So we use the breath to master that ability to let go. You learn to let go of your breath. And when you let go of your breath, you'd be surprised what else you can let go of. You can let go of the past. You can let go of fear. You can let go of pain. You can let go of limited thoughts, programming, deep conditioning, DNA. I mean, you, you can, doesn't seem to be any limit to, and I, I have a working theory that if we could let go completely, we'd turn into light. It's kind of a working <laughs> theory, you know, um, that there's, everybody has, uh, you know, some people are really good at relaxing, but deep inside there's a knot that they've never gotten to and a place beyond which they cannot relax. And the closer you get to that, it's like approaching a high security prison. Alarms go off, <laughs> guards come to the towers, <laughs> patrol around the yeah. perimeter. And, and that's our subconscious mind, our unconscious mind. It's, it's where we lock up all the creepy, crawly, scary, dangerous feelings and urges. And, and it takes a lot of energy to keep all that shit in prison and the breath just starts opening that stuff up. And as the breath opens it up, you need a way to navigate all that demons coming out and whatever, you know? And so then just by managing your breath and managing your mind, you know, meditative awareness, relaxation, and breathing. So that's kind of like my formula for transformation. Consciousness factor, wake up. Um, relaxation, let go. And breathing, take charge. It's like, you know, you ha we have to be part of our own healing process. I can't screw myself up and then go to some doctor and have him fix me and then I screw myself up and I go to somebody else. We, we gotta learn to stop screwing ourselves up and we gotta learn how to heal and fix ourselves. And so the breath connects us to some higher intelligence. It connects us, breathing awakens body intelligence, it awakens heart intelligence, it awakens higher intelligence. And so until you've, until you've harvested everything you can harvest from the breath, why go anywhere else? I'm still, I'm You're still, still pulling apart. Yeah, I'm still finding possibilities and abilities, you know? I had an ayahuasca ceremony. Um, a lot of my ayahuasca ceremonies have been teaching me breath work. That's what I feel. And uh, in one of them, it was clear. said there's only two, you got teachers and healers in the world, right, in this world of healing. The teachers are to teach us how to breathe. I say world of healing, world of living. The teachers are to teach us how to breathe, and the healers are to help us heal what happened because we didn't breathe properly. Yeah. Yeah. Does that, does that resonate? Yeah. Yeah. I, you know, I mean, it's just like there's two kinds of suffering, the kind of suffering that leads to more suffering, and there's a kind of suffering that leads to growth. But can mm -hmm. you even call that suffering if it leads to growth, you know? And, Maybe he, just you know, pain. healing and growth might be one and the same in many ways. You know, as we heal, we grow. And as we grow, we heal. I have a friend, Vernon Wolf, who uh, developed holodynamics. And he sees everything in terms of mature or immature. So, um, uh, and one of my other teachers, Ken Kai, said, you know, somebody who's violent, is trying to beat that person into something they can love. Holy crap, I never heard that. <laughs> that just knocked me back on my, but I kind of see that, that you know, even terrorist things, they're immature expressions of something. And if they could mature that expression, uh, you know, it, that's healing. So it's growth, mm -hmm. but it's also healing, you know? Yeah, I've, 
I've often said that healing is really just growing up, meaning it's, beca- it's becoming an adult. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Personal responsibility, you know, I always taking ownership talk about of them together life. now, healing yeah. and growth. It's right. like, to me, you're right. It's like yeah. one, one is the one other. other. Yeah. Is there something you notice about my own breathing? Maybe I can get a free um, x-ray. Well, I, I was watching you breathe when we did the, the session right. before. Um, really good belly breathing, and your chest was open. So um, that was nice to see because some people you got to really try to slap or seduce or shake them into breathing. It's like they're afraid to breathe. That's one thing I got. You're not afraid to breathe. Um, but it's kind of like it's kind of like um, uh, having a, a fighter jet on the tarmac, right? You can play with the flaps and the ailerons and all that stuff, and it's no big deal. But when you're doing Mach 5, the slightest little thing, and you can go into a spin. Mm-hmm. So for me, tension is like that. I, I, can, I started to like in your throat, for example, and different places where early in the process it's not a big deal. But the deeper you go, the more even a little bit of tension can throw you completely off or block something completely. And it's so subtle. So starting to play with subtle tensions becomes the further you go in breath work the more aware you have to become of subtle tensions and uh subtle energy um and so i that's where i would start steering you i would start i would do a one-on-one session i'd watch every single breath you take i try to catch any habits and patterns that i see that uh uh-oh if you keep engaging this, that's going to be one more thing you're going to need to unlearn later. So let's not get into And you've already, without realizing it, gotten into some habits and patterns. When you're focusing on one thing, you're not necessarily mm-hmm. focusing on something else. So things can sneak up in your practice. And like a little kid when they're learning to write and they go, you know, <laughs> what's the tongue got to do with this? It's like they're putting everything. So gradually, you don't have to do all that extra stuff. So that's a lot of, I try peeling away unnecessary effort, unnecessary muscular activity, uh, bringing in more awareness and more relaxation. And that takes the breathwork practice to another level. Got it. Yeah, I do a lot of things, my hands, my legs. Yeah, we have, yeah. A, yeah. And you know, starting to like, trying to react to the energy instead of just like tolerating it and let the, let the energy do the work. You know, if I have a, you know, if I have a pain and I rub it and, oh, it feels better. Now, every time I have a pain, I have to rub it. But what if, what if I just relax and breathe and the pain goes away by itself? Wow. That means I don't have to do anything about a lot of stuff I think I need to be doing something about, right? It's going to come and go by itself. Why waste energy? Um, and so for me, letting go is like a real key. There is, there's a certain point, and I think everybody, death is the final lesson in letting go if you haven't learned how to let go in life death is going to force you to let go let go of your ego let go of what you thought was so important let go of yeah it's a big lesson letting go so why not learn to let go sooner one one less lesson death has to teach us right or maybe death teaches people that they're all connected that you're part of this infinite one being in the universe well if you could discover that while you're alive, that's another reason death is unnecessary. So I've been doing trainings. One of the f- themes of our trainings is like, what do you think death has to teach? What do you think death could teach people? And why not try learning that stuff before so death doesn't have to be our teacher? Right? Um, 
but you know, the ego has to die. Our personality, I love working with the word persona, which means mask. It's the root of the word person. And so it's like, wow, so my personality is a mask covering who I am, but I identify with my personality. Mm -hmm. And if I fall in love with somebody, I'm actually falling in love with their mask. My mask loves their mask. <laughs> right. And and so now we're locked into never being able to grow. Like, you know, relationships, a sacred relationship is one where people grow, you know, where hopefully you you grow into the ultimate. I just got back from India. I have some models, examples of possible humans that I like to visit. Like, wow, here's a good living example of the possible human. Possible human. And uh, catching some of that right. vibe and that energy and being inspired by the possibilities, you know. So uh, a lot of ancient, uh, like I was born and raised in the Catholic Church. We went through all the rituals, but it's like going through the motions. And I didn't catch the essence of a lot of those, what they call sacraments in the Catholic Church until I got to India. And you know, I'm like, holy cow, I, why wasn't this guy in, teaching me when I was a kid? <laughs> like, imagine how different my life would have been, you know? Uh, so, so what do you think is different? What's, um, I was reading something about, you know, David Hawkins, I'm sure. Yeah. So yeah. he quantifies and measures everything. Yeah. And I think he was saying that, you know, from all the major religions, like they all started off where people were like pretty much at pure enlightenment is the way he um, described it. How he quantified it is not so important. But he said that amongst the Buddhists was kind of the, the, the smallest drop compared to some of the other religions. Like where they started and how far. Like I don't know how, how comfortable Abraham would be walking into a synagogue or Moses would be walking into a synagogue. I'm not 100% sure. Yeah. I'm not sure how comfortable Jesus would be walking to a church. I, right, yeah. I I, yeah <laughs> I'm, that's not, right. I'm not so sure. So he said amongst the Buddhists, the, the drop was the least, but he wasn't connecting it to Buddhism as much as it is to the religions that kind of stayed apart from society, you know, kind of the monk on a mountain right, right. versus the ones who were to integrate in society, and it's just yeah. a, a tougher challenge. Yeah, you need both. I mean, uh, you, you, there's great stories of, you know, somebody achieves enlightenment in a cave and first thing they go into the marketplace, they lose it, you know? <laughs> so if you can't make it work in, in the actual world you live in, you know, what good is it? You know, so I, I, I think in terms of relaxation, a lot of what I'm teaching is teaching people to relax when it's the last thing they would think to do. You know, like, just try that. Like when you, you don't try, don't force harder, try letting go right now instead and see where that takes you. And uh, so that, that principle of relaxing when it's the last thing you think to do, that's usually what you need and it's what works best. And, and just transcending our, you know, and we're transcending the mind, you could say, or, or um, con the conditioned mind, you know. Um, I, I see the mind like a middleman or a, the little light in the back of a movie theater and everything that's happening on the screen is coming from that little window in the back of the theater. Mm -hmm. And if you open the doors of a movie theater, it, it ruins everything. You're mm -hmm. letting light in from someplace else. So for me, the example is, okay, how do I, I don't want all the light to come in through my mind. I want to start letting some light come from my heart and letting light come from other places. And that then the mind isn't like this middleman like I know where I can buy this for a dollar and I sell it to you for 10, I'm not gonna tell you where you can buy it for a dollar and put myself out of business. I'll actually try to hide my source from you because then you need me, right? So I think the mind in a way 
is in, invested in hiding uh, hiding the source. Oh. <laughs> and and I, I had this very clear in my dream kind of in between dream and waking thing where if I had a choice between turning to my mind to solve a problem, which is seems exactly what we do. If you're going to problem solve it, you get down and you think and you think it through and you figure it out and you solve the problem. But very clear one time this like real message came. If I had a choice to solve a problem, to turn to my mind to solve the problem or turn to the source of my mind, who would I turn to? I wouldn't turn to my mind. I turn to the source of my mind. So how do I do that? I have to get upstream of my mind. And so the breath gets to be the way that I do in a very practical way. Like if you have an unusual feeling in your body, it's going to trigger a thought. Oh, geez, my knee is hurting. Mm -hmm. oh, was, oh, my mother had arthritis. Maybe I have arthritis. Or, oh, I was, I was climbing upstairs yesterday. That must, and so now you're not feeling anymore. The feeling has triggered thinking. Correct. And you're actually disconnecting from what life is trying to give you in that moment. And it becomes automatic. And so getting upstream of the mind helps, the breath helps me. So if my first reaction, if I have a psychological pain and, and it causes a contraction in my body, then I want to get in between there with the breath. So I want the breath to be the first thing to respond. Not my body, not my mind, but if anything arises in consciousness, I want it to trigger my breath first, because if it triggers my breath first, my breath is going to connect me to my source, it's going to connect me to my center, and then whatever thought I think, it's coming from a better place than if I just turn to my mind right away. Right. I noticed that when we were doing the ice plunge, when you went in, there was um, a lot of very concentrated breathing. Yeah. Like yeah. Very yeah, I'm a, I'm a true breather. I use my breath, and how many different ways can I find to use my breath? Uh, most people, have, they don't realize they've been using their breath, like to be invisible. If you're a little kid in the back of the room in a school, in a class, and the teacher's looking for somebody to ask a question, you're back there going, you know, like holding your breath. A little three-year-old girl, um, I, I played this game, you know, like the father comes home from work and, where's my little girl? I lost my little girl. Where is she? And she's hiding behind the couch. And we both like the game. The little girl knows, oh, your father's coming. She goes and hides behind the couch. And what is she doing? She's holding her breath. Nobody has to teach a three-year-old child that they want to be invisible, hold your breath. It's hardwired into us. So without realizing it, we've been holding our breath so as not to get guilt or shamed or seen or observed or stand out or be called upon. Uh, we hold our breath. If some toxic force is about to come down on top of me, what's the natural instinct? <laughs> you hold your breath and you make yourself hard. And, that, and then you can maybe protect yourself from that force. But what if it's inside of you? Like the like same thing with fire. If you, know, if you touch a fire, you don't have to think, oh, this is damaging, I should take my hand away. No, you just, boom, you pull away. Mm -hmm. But what if the fire is inside of you? So this instinct that we have to like hold our breath and harden ourselves to protect ourselves from pain, that doesn't work with inner work. It's, it actually helps keep the pain locked mm -hmm. inside of us. When you hold your breath, nothing can flow. And when you're tight, you're locking things in the body, and yet it's a natural reaction. So we have to kind of override. A lot of breath work is teaching us to override certain habits and patterns and it gives us a higher way of dealing with things. So 
and I dealt with this in the military. They, they, they call him old Brule, the pacifist, you know. It's like, um, but if there's a noise in the bushes, <laughs> you automatically have to assume that it's somebody's going to kill you. It's an animal. It's going to eat. You can't just think, oh, it's my mother. Oh, it's my best friend. Mm -hmm. Because we wouldn't survive, right? The brain is made to keep us safe. It's not made to make us happy. And so we have certain instincts and patterns that maybe served us a long time ago and maybe serve us in certain situations at certain times, but you don't want that to be the overriding, constant, constant dominating response, and it takes breath work to override the, those deep programs. So, and I did it in the military. Guys are going, oh yeah, so if I just uh, open my heart and I welcome everybody and that's, and then they're gonna step all over me, walk all over me and blah, blah, blah. And it doesn't work that way. It really doesn't work that way. If I hear a noise in the bushes, the first thing I wanna do is wake up. I wanna listen more carefully and I wanna relax and I wanna breathe. And that's, now I'm in the best possible place to deal with whatever happens, you know? So I think it's me, always good to be relaxed. It's, it's always an optimal ah, state. It's, uh, and in certain cases, it's the only thing that will work is letting go. I mean, two people have an argument. Come on, sooner or later, somebody just goes. <sighs> and then the other person like a doofus with ping pong paddle and nobody to play with. Right. So we can interrupt patterns with the breath. We can overcome long standing habits and ways of being. I mean, that, I think that's very high application of breath work in that, in that direction, let's say. Got it. So uh, this evening we're going to do a breath work together, and we invited a few, um, a number of people to join. I invited a friend, I'm not sure if he'll come or won't, but when I sent it to him, he said, I sh I've, I've never had any experience with breath work. And mm. he's a meditator. He does a lot of meditating, but breath work he's never done. I said, well, this guy may be able to to help you. So let's see if he comes or, um, or doesn't. But mm. what I noticed with him and what I think he's saying is that uh, he just even struggles to get the breath past here. What do you do with someone like <sighs> Yeah, like this, I have a lot of interventions, a lot of ways we can play with that. I, I look for inhibitions in the breathing. I look for restrictions in the breathing because whenever you free up the breath, you're going to free up energy, emotions, memories, thoughts, creative abilities. So it's really important to identify limitations and restrictions in the breathing and, and work on that level because on, in the process of clearing up any blockages in the breathing, all the other stuff is automatically affected. You can't, you can't help but heal emotionally, grow psychologically, heal physically on the way as you're, as you're fixing the breath, remedial breathing training, right? Get, restoring the breath to its full, you know, function. They have this analogy about a tip of the iceberg and they describe the power of the mind and mm -hmm. we're only using a fraction of our potential. The rest is submerged. And breathing is the same thing. People are only using their breath just to a fraction of its ability. I have a friend, Barnett Bain, who says it's like, like the pilot light in an oven. It's enough to keep you alive, but you can't cook anything with it. <laughs> right. And so you got to do something to the breath to you know, trigger growth, healing, transformation, awakening. Um, and it's scary because, so, um, if you take a puppy away from its mother, you're gonna hear from both of them. You take a little baby puppy away, 
the mother's, meow, meow, where are you going with my, <laughs> and the baby is, yeah. And so that happened to all of us <laughs> when we were children, right? We, you severed an energetic bond between the mother and the baby, and it's overwhelmingly painful for the child. And Barnett talks about it as overwhelming feelings of aliveness. They're feelings of aliveness, but they are overwhelming feelings of aliveness, uh, distressing feelings of aliveness. And so how do you escape? All those feelings are in your body. And so when you're experiencing horribly uncomfortable feelings, wh what do you do? You leave town. You abandon ship. You check out. You disassociate from the body. You go unconscious, and that's how you escape these feelings in your body. And then once you're about three years old or four, the cognitive centers come online, and you add storytelling to that. Oh, my mother doesn't like me. I must be a bad boy, blah, blah, blah. And so uh, the average person has been frightened. He, he, he's a, Barnett Bain is a Hollywood producer, filmmaker, and he does workshops on creativity. And I found him through his book, The Book of Doing and Being. And I read through the whole book. He mentioned breathing in a couple of places, but the more I read the book, I'm thinking, this guy is really into breath work. He's not talking about it, but I just had a sense. So we had the same publisher, and I called up my editor. I said, hey, I just found this book, Barnett Bain. I want to meet him. He goes, oh, he lives right next door to me in Ojai. She's in California. Come on over. I'll introduce you. So we, we met up. We had a really great time. And he's really, he's got a brilliant understanding about this whole thing. When you start to breathe, like we'll, we'll do tonight, and you use continuous connected breathing, you're going to bring up all the feelings that frightened you out of your body as a two-month or two-year-old child. And all you have to do is just breathe, and you're going to get free of all that stuff. But what most people do is they stop breathing in that moment, which <laughs> prevents the release of that thing. So um, what I often find in, is in it is there's a tremendous amount of energy that builds up somewhere. Yep. Right, whether it's in my hands or my throat or face. And I'll feel like I'm taking myself out because of that. Yeah. You're saying it's we, emotional. We get, we get afraid of it. It gets too intense. We try to rub it off. We try to <laughs> shake it off. We try to make it go away. We stop breathing because it's getting, it's like a fire that's getting out of control. And you, you want to throw water on the fire. Uh, but if you allow that energy to build and build and build and don't do anything about it, it reaches. Meaning, if all this is forming, just don't do anything. You just whatever. That's you have to override the urge to stop it and manage it, and control it and 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 avoid it and resist. You just have to get past that, and the energy will get stronger and stronger, and it gets stronger. Think, oh my God, I don't know if I can handle it. That's where it gets strong. It'll reach a peak by itself, and then it'll recede and it'll never come back. But if you interrupt that process and you turn the session around before it reaches its natural peak, it's you're going to be dealing with it in every single session forever. <laughs> so, but the first time you just go, oh, fuck it. You just let it get as bad as it's going to bet. You know, why not? Give it a shot. And that's when they get, people get totally liberated, let's say. The first time you allow that energy to reach its own natural peak. There's a second kind of person who, when the energy reaches its natural peak, they're still pushing and they're trying to create this artificial peak. And, but that's more rare. Most people, they get too frightened by the intensity of the energy and they try to turn the session around before it reaches its natural peak. And it might take five or 10 sessions to guide somebody before they finally surrender completely and they allow, they surrender to their own energy, to their own life force. 
And when, when that happens, wow, they drop long-standing habits, very deep programs. They become fearless in many ways, um, centered, grounded, clear. You know, you're not anxious about stuff. You, I mean, it's, it's pretty awesome to be with somebody when they have that profound liberation. Li oh, gee, I, I don't know. Awakening. Who would want to, you know, why not? I want to <laughs> see that every day. I mean, when I started with the miracle of breath, uh, I was an x-ray technician, and on the bulletin board, there was the thing that saying a CPR class, right? I thought, yeah, heck, I want to learn CPR. I'm a medical person. And it was on the weekend, Saturday, and I went, I was so surprised. There was nobody else from the x-ray department I thought, doesn't everybody want to learn this stuff? I mean, isn't it, isn't it an ethical obligation that you at least somebody chokes on food or they have a heart attack? Don't you want to be able to help them? I mean, I thought that was natural. So I took that CPR course, and it was like two weeks later. I was up in the intensive care that, with a portable x-ray machine, and I write about him in my book, John Doherty. He was a, a, a talent scout for Ted Williams and the Red Sox. And um, they sent me up there to take a chest x-ray in bed, and when I got up in the room, I was in the room just for a couple of minutes getting the machine set up, and you hear this beep, 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 and went beep, oh, holy crap. The guy just arrested, sure enough, I went over, I took his pulse, his pupils were fixed and dilated, and my training kicked in, I slid the x-ray board under his back because the bed was so soft, and I blew inside of him, and I pumped on him, and then uh, the nurses and doctors came in, and. Uh, just as they came in, he like blinked and woke up. Like, what a freaking miracle. <laughs> the guy was clinically dead. Fixed, dilated pupils, no pulse, looked ashen, gray, dead, and you blow into them a couple of times and they wake up. It's like a freaking miracle. I was like, <laughs> I was ecstatic. Like, oh God, like, let me do this every day, <laughs> you know? And you know, when you when you love what you do, the universe keeps giving you opportunities <laughs> to do it. I'd be at the beach and somebody drowns. I'm in a restaurant, they choke on food. I'm in a fucking airplane, they have a heart attack. I'm going, maybe I'm bad luck. It's <laughs> like, stay away from me. Because <laughs> you know, like, I just loved, and I resuscitated 19 people in my life. Wow. Yeah, That's 19. I, I counted out of maybe twice as many that didn't, you know, that we didn't save. I worked on an ambulance for a long time. I was a fire and rescue, but I resuscitated 19 people. One person was enough to make me feel good for my whole life. The fact that you, you brought one person back from the dead, I mean, oh my God. And, uh, but then when I discovered rebirthing, it was like, wow, this is like now my whole practice. Instead What's of rebirthing? Rebirthing is conscious, connected breathing. It was based on the idea that uh, birth trauma and early programming that inhibited the full free expression of our nature. You know, is what, this different than holotropic breathwork? Holotropic is Stan Groff. Um, he actually did a session with Leonard Orr who invented rebirthing and he was the inspiration for Stan Groff's holotropic breathwork. He couldn't use LSD anymore. He was looking for another way to trigger shamanic type states and breathing is a very powerful trigger for all kind of psychedelic states. I mean, <laughs> I play with all kinds of breathing techniques that can even go into all kind of cool places. So that was, so Stan Groff was inspired. He didn't like Leonard Orr's, he called him a pop psychologist. He had no academic background. Stan Groff was a disciplined academic psychiatric doctor. And so he wasn't into this woo-woo stuff. And But, I mean, <laughs> 
Holy Tropic Breathwork is about as woo-woo as you can get. I mean, <laughs> he's like a shaman, you know. Um, I don't know. What so you talk about rebirthing. and you're, yeah. yeah, so when I discovered rebirthing, so now instead of coming upon people who are dead, breathing with them and bringing back to life, now I work with people who are alive, breathe with them, and make them more alive. It's the same work. It's just on a more fun level, let's say. It's not... Uh, but, and maybe it's even a more serious level because bringing people, you know, re, re, reviving someone physically, what is that compared to reviving them spiritually? So maybe, um, maybe the work I'm doing now is more meaningful, even more important than life and death. What we did earlier, what was that? That was just off the cuff. I didn't know you that we didn't have a plan. We just my idea was okay. They just we just want to play with our breath. And we played with that two little breaths, one yeah. big breath. I just made that up in India, one of our stops along the way, <laughs> and and they were all everybody who was with us. We'd done they had all done a lot of breathing with me, so I'm just trying to think of different ways to play with the breath, and so that came up, and it turned out to be actually it was the most powerful session on the whole trip to India, just playing with that two little breaths, one big breath, two right. little breaths, and just go for it, and then let morph it into wherever it takes you. It triggers a lot of energy. That big breath is a sigh of relief, and I think that's really important. That uh, you know, most people huff and puff, but they're not relaxed. And if they relax, they're not breathing. So how do you bring together those two? That's the magic. That's the sweet spot. And I discovered it actually. I got confirmed with Mark Devine, a good friend of mine, Navy SEAL commander, who'd been practicing box breathing. He brought box breathing to it's the It's a four, 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 yeah. yeah. Inhale four, pause four, exhale four, pause. And he was, I think, single-handedly convinced the Navy SEALs to adopt it. I mean, if not, he was the major force behind it. And he'd been practicing box breathing for like 15 years. But he had never practiced taking away that pause. And there's something magical about taking away the pause. In that field, in that environment, it's all about control. I got to control my state, got to control my focus, got to control my emotions, got to manage my state, got to control my weapon, got to control the end. It's all about control. So box breathing makes perfect sense in that thing. And it, and it works because you're balancing the inhale and the exhale, four seconds in, four seconds out, which balances sympathetic and parasympathetic, keeps you in a nice state, not out of balance mm -hmm. in either direction. And when you practice the breath holding at the top and the bottom, you have a felt sense of being in control because you literally are in control. Right. So box breathing is a great go-to practice. But he had never eliminated the pauses. Actually, they call it tactical breathing when you hit the ground. So you're in the helicopter, you're on your way to who knows what, you're practicing box breathing. But then when you hit the ground, you're not thinking about it anymore. You're doing what's tactical breathing, which is very close to what you would call continuous breathing, that you just make sure that you're breathing, that you're flowing, that you're not holding your breath, you know, so it's the breath is flowing. If the breath is flowing, your movements are graceful, your body is flowing. So they call that tactical breathing, but it's very, very close to connected breathing, which is what the rebirthing technique mm -hmm. is, conscious connected breathing. No pauses or gaps between the inhales. Inhale and exhale, no pause or gap between the exhale and the inhale. Continuous connected circle. The inhale is active, the exhale is passive. That's the rebirthing technique. And, um, and uh, 
in the early days, it was all about birth trauma. That, you know, when you're coming through the birth canal, getting squeezed and shocked and cutting the umbilical and separation from the mother and, you know, coming out of the womb and like... Right, the child definitely holds their breath in. Oh, I mean... And then there's that cry. That's... Well, and that's... Now, when you think about that, I mean, rebirthing came about at the same time as Arthur Janoff and the Primal Scream and right about the same time as Frederick Laboye, who wrote a book called Birth Without Violence, where he would take the baby and put the baby in a warm tub of water right after the baby's born. Hey, you'll live in the water for nine months, and you watch the baby relax in that warm water. And Tchaikovsky was doing underwater births in Russia, literally babies being born underwater. You know, I was, I was into all that stuff. And, and, um, but the, Leonard Orr had discovered that, this, that the birth trauma, the first breath was so painful that the second breath was much smaller. And people never, rec and they were afraid to breathe because of the pain. From then. Yeah. And the first few, you know, you have to get sucked the fluids out before right. you could breathe. And so there's a lot of trauma that we don't even recognize as trauma around birth. It's because everyone has it. And slapping the baby, the, the spine's been curled up for nine months and you stretch, hang them upside down and, you know, you're in in the body temperature, water for nine months. Now you come out into an air conditioned operating room and bright lights. You, you know, you're in the dark for 15 minutes and you come out into the light, you know, or you've been sitting in one position right. and you, you go wake up your limbs to get going again. So there's a lot of trauma around birth that was just going completely unrecognized. And uh, it turned out that, that, that the trauma is not only physical and psychological, emotional, it's quite spiritual. Uh, that you know you've been betrayed by God, been betrayed by life. That God abandoned you. That you know, I mean, there's very deep kind of conclusions or impressions that you can have. So rebirthing was called rebirthing because people would remember and re-experience their birth and change all of the negative, limiting thoughts that they had about themselves and about life into higher, more positive framing. So that's rebirthing in a nutshell. The breath stimulates memories of the womb and memories of birth and the negative and limiting thoughts and patterns. There must be something wrong with me. The world is a cruel place, uh, you know, whatever. And it's not, not verbal because you didn't have language at that mm -hmm. time. It's more of an emotional impression. And you can't get to that stuff through talk therapy. Well, maybe you can with years of talk therapy. You can finally make your way, but breathing just... <laughs> Right just, there. It's like setting off a bomb in your basement, you know, <laughs> which is why rebirthing can be really powerful and scary for people if you don't, if you're not prepared to manage the stuff that comes up. And that's been part of the, I, I'm kind of conflicted because I think that this is natural. You don't need a lot of training. You don't have to be an expert. This is nature. And on the other hand. With breathing. Yeah, yeah. Right, then you had some intense stuff come out. Yeah. You know, and now it's, I mean, there are some people who have a three-year, four-year, you know, program. They're basically trained to be psychotherapists, you know. Breathing, breath work is not psychotherapy. It's not religion. It's therapeutic. It's spiritual. But um, you don't have to be a priest, and you don't have to be a doctor, and you don't need a degree. I think if you're a natural human and you've worked out your own shit, then you're a very good person to have sitting next to you when you're working out your shit. <laughs> Somebody else has already been there and just their presence makes it easier on you. And then, you know, helping... S breath work for me is very simple. 
you just make sure the person stays awake. Don't let them drift off into la-la land. Stay conscious, stay present. Keep the breath moving and relax whatever you can relax. And that's it. That's all the coaching that's required and a miracle will happen every time. If you just keep those three pieces in play, stay awake, relax whatever you can relax and be patient with the rest and just keep your breath moving and something natural, organic rehealing is going to occur every single time. It's like cheating. It's so easy. All right, so I'm glad we're going here because I wanted to ask some questions related to the training. We met through um, the team at Anohi who mm -hmm. you're putting on some workshops and in December you have, I think, a week-long workshop with them, yeah. which is a... Yeah, we're doing a deep dive in December here in Miami. Um, it's a, we go from scratch, basics, all the way up to advanced. Some people take it just as an advanced training for themselves. They go home, they can help themselves, they can help their family, they can breathe with their kids, they can perform better in sports or whatever you're into. And it also serves as a practitioner training. So for people who want to be breath workers or coaches, I mean, Anybody, who can stop you? If, you? if you learn something and you're compelled to teach it, who's going to tell you you're not will, able to do that? You know? But uh, if people you like want to my say, certificate, yeah. then you've right. got to jump through the hoops that I, I tell gotcha. you to jump through. If you want somebody else's, you go through them. So, um, so, so what does yours consist of, which kind of leads into the question of someone who's listening to this and says, I want to work with someone in breathwork. Mm -hmm. Okay, great. If they can call you, reach out to you, or... Um, you know, attend an event you're working with, that's amazing. But other than that, what are, they, what are they looking for? Or what are you looking to teach someone when they're going through the program? I guess the answer is the same. Yeah, I, you know, like that's the question. If you could only learn one breathing exercise or technique, what would be the one best thing to learn, right? <laughs> for me, it's pretty simple. I would say that any way of breathing that makes you more conscious, that's like the most, that's the best. What better can you do to wake up to who you really are to become conscious of your unconscious patterns, to be able to observe yourself when you get hijacked by your emotions and the, you know, just stay awake. Any breathing and conscious breathing does that trick because the more conscious I am of my breathing, the more conscious I am of everything. The more aware I am of my breath, the more aware I am of my posture, my thoughts, my reactions, my emotions, my feelings, the effect my words have. So the more conscious we become of of our breath, we're becoming more conscious, period. Right. I felt like after our breath work earlier, I had to like send a litany of apologies. I'm like, oh, shoot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, it, yeah. You get to observe parts about yourself you normally wouldn't observe. And yeah. breathing allows us to sit with things that we normally couldn't sit with, that as soon as we touch them, we're trying to distract ourselves. And, you know, and, uh, but there are certain things that we just have to like, just sit with until they resolve themselves. And avoiding them is a good temporary solution. <laughs> right. But sooner or later, uh, they want and like anxiety, up. you know, like, oh, my God, wouldn't it be nice to live with just less anxiety? I mean, phew, that would be something, you know. Yeah, when I started with Mike Rosenfeld, who I mentioned at the beginning of this discussion, I was full-blown anxiety. I was having panic attacks regularly. That's why I was calling him today. I don't, yeah. I don't live with it at all. It's like it's the most anxiety I have is when I jump in the ice plunge. Yeah, well, that's and then 15 seconds later, anxiety I is aliveness, and once you can, uh, you know, relax into energy. Um, I mean, everything you go through in a breathing session, you're going to encounter anything that can stop you anywhere else in life. 
And if it can't stop you in a breathing session, it can't stop you in your job, in your work, in your art, in your whatever. It's, it's inner work. I mean, that's where everything needs to be done, you know? We're, and breath work is for people who want to do real inner work. They want to grow. They want to be more of who they... You don't have to fix or change who you are. You want to be more of who you really are. And um, breath work takes us to our essence in a way. It, it awakens us to our essence and it awakens the connection that we have with everybody. If I, if I literally feel my connection to you, how can I do violence on you? I'm, I, I'm hurting myself and I mm-hmm. feel the pain. So waking up, breath wakes us up to this connection, heart connections, and uh, science is starting to like back it up finally. That, you know, like coherent breathing, five seconds in, five seconds out. What a simple thing. The heart math people, you know, now they're into group flow. So people who are breathing together and synchronizing their breathing creates a flow within a team that takes people to the next level. Yeah, they were doing it in SEAL teams now. They break. Guys lock arms, they take a few breaths together, they synchronize their breathing, and something really cool happens. Then we go off, and I see something, and you have an urge to look in that direction. Pretty cool. Like the connection okay. gets really, breathing makes connections deeper in some way, and it awakens deeper connections. So when you're taking someone through a seven-day workshop, an advanced workshop, or a full year of training, what are you actually teaching them? Because like you said, you're I just... Think that you can't, I, I, I think people need to learn from a lot of different teachers. So like I'm like the... Tony Robbins calls me the Bruce Lee of breathwork because I've taken from many different things and put it together. I force people, if you come to my practitioner, you want to get certified by me, you have to go and study with other people not just me, because I want you to study with them, you come back, and we see how we integrate this into universal principles, and how does it fit into what I'm teaching. Um, Because nobody has the one right way. There's no one right, great, one and only way. So I think the the broader foundation you have in breath work, the better. So that means learning Buteyko on one end and learning Wim Hof on the other, and getting equally comfortable with both, and then finding where in that spectrum are you most at home? And then you deal with people who gravitate towards that. If you're a fitness person, or if you're a psychotherapist, or a body worker, or a spiritual counselor, you're gonna find a way to use the breath in your, for yourself and in and, and working with other people. So that's what the week is about. It's about learning to use the breath for yourself. But if you're already working with other people or serving, you're gonna naturally develop an ability to use the breath and you know incorporate it into what else you do meaning if someone's already a a therapist or a a physical trainer doing something else and using the lessons they have it's going to take their practice to another level definitely if you're if you're if you've got any kind of a therapeutic or coaching practice and you haven't integrated the breath wow when you do it's going to take your work to another level Always, right. every time. I, I love that. That's why I like working with seasoned, you know, martial artists, seasoned warriors, and, and people like Tony Robbins. I mean, the guy's done a lot of work on himself. He's, he's not just teaching. He's a genuine student of life, you know? And he's just a little tweak. The first time I worked with him, um, actually, he called me out of the blue, you know, one day. Is this Dave here? This is Tony Robbins. Get the fuck out of here. Like, who is this? Josh? Is this Bob? Like, you know, who's no, this is Tony Robbins. I heard, uh, you know, you've been studying the breath for 40 years, and I just wanted to pick your brain. 
So I said, well, pick away. <laughs> like, and so I watched a, um, a, a YouTube clip of him for 30 minutes. I just wanted to like watch, study his breathing while he was teaching. And then one thing I noticed was he went 30 minutes and he didn't take one breath through his nose. So I thought, well, let me check again. So I watched it again and he did take one breath through his nose. He, somebody was in the audience was asking him something and he had paused for a few minutes and I watched him shut his mouth and he took a breath through his nose, but then he was right into talking again. So I pointed that out to him in our first session. And, um, and he's also, you know, he, you know, he's got his favorite yeah. Tony, I mean, you know, Tony Robbins, he's like yeah. the ever ready bunny, he's got no <coughs> off button. And, and we really, I confronted him a few times about relaxation. He goes, I can't relax, I gotta be on stage in, in two hours, I go into a trance when I relax. And his wife, I don't know, some of this is probably, he's talked about it, but his wife told a great story, the date with destiny, he does that annual event mm -hmm. there in place. And she's backstage barking orders at everybody and he's priming himself mm -hmm. and he gets to go out on stage and then he vents it all. She says, I'm stuck backstage barking orders at people. <laughs> so she just needed to relax and he didn't want to relax, he wanted to energize. And so we were in this real situation where I was gonna breathe with both of them and she needed one thing and he needed another. So I've just gotten really good in my life at meeting people where they're at and, and, and going in the direction they need to go and not assuming that everybody needs something. I mean, everybody needs more consciousness. Everybody needs to be able to let go and relax. And everybody needs to be able to energize themselves. I think those are universal benefits of breath work that I try to give everybody that benefit. You need energy. The baby, you know, it's two o'clock in the morning. You, I mean, whatever the reason, mm -hmm. you've got a job, you're gonna emerge, you, and you're tired, you're exhausted, you're out of your s state. You've gotta be able to get into state. You've gotta be able to generate energy. And I've always been working in emergency medicine. I wake up at two o'clock in the morning and I have to do surgery. Yeah. I can't, you don't have the luxury, oh, I'm too tired. Or I just I'm need gone. an ice punch for that. You gotta boom, you gotta show up. So how do you learn to use your breath to do that? So how that do you, you can generate the energy you need. And then how do you learn to use your breath to just vent the stress and vent the tension? I think those are life skills that really everybody needs. And so no coffee, no cigarettes. Right, without all that stuff, who needs that crap? You know, yeah, yeah. Then you do those drugs just for recreation. You don't do them <laughs> because you need it. You do it for the fun, right? right. So, um, and just to be conscious, like, wow, to observe yourself. How many times, you know, have you said or done something that afterwards you went, oh, fuck, you know, like, you know, <laughs> if only I had taken a breath before I said that or whatever, you know? Right. So you just, you, these are life skills, management, emotional state management, managing your mind, managing your energy. You know, I think these are universal benefits that everybody has a right to. And people who work in high stakes, life and death situations, they're trained to breathe. But the average person, hey, you know, they have their own life and death high stakes. Talking to your teenager, talk, you know, so everybody deserves to have these high state skills. And, and I, the Are you saying an athlete is gonna be taught these states going into the last two minutes of a game? Yeah. Why shouldn't a mom before talking to her teenager about? Same, same, the first date. same thing. It's your own little battle that you got to get over, right? Hey, what's the, you watch a diver, an Olympic diver, where they got their toes curled mm -hmm. around the board just before they dive. What's the last thing they do? <sighs> they take that breath. They come into the zone and then they perform. 
basketball players, you can see it everywhere. Yeah, you see, once I, like, when I started working with Mike, I started noticing it everywhere. Yeah. yeah. You, know, you see a guy lift weights. What does he do? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, that's the... People who were trained to do yeah. it, but the average person isn't trained. And, like, the synopsis of my book and, and my really working belief in, in life is that everybody is a... We, everybody has these advanced abilities and skills, you know? It's not just the great masters and the gurus and the warriors and the saints. They were ordinary people that discovered something in themselves or they overcome something, and everybody has that same ability. And the breath, I, that's, that's I, for me, that's it. It, it just works. And, and, uh, and if you need anything else, you'll be inspired to know what else you need. So you, you start with breathing, and then maybe you just have a feeling, oh, I think I'm going to read this book. Boom, the per <laughs> just the perfect thing. You open it up and it says just what you know. Or you gravitate towards a teacher or you take up a certain hobby because you're literally inspired. The breath literally inspiration. is inspiration. Yeah. So start there and then trust, what, trust comes? what comes up. It's not going to be an accident. Yeah. So, in so that's a good. See, so you took a breath there as you were thinking. That's yeah. A good, yeah. Yeah. So <laughs> I would complete it though. Oh, what did so I do? See, what you did is you took in a breath, and then you started to talk. I would complete that cycle. Take in the breath, let it go, and then talk. Don't interrupt the cycle. Complete the cycle, and then go. Right. I see what I did there. <laughs> <laughs> you might forget what you just were. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, I didn't forget. Uh, is for someone listening, and they're saying, "Okay, they want to do breath work." And uh, you know, a lot of people listen to me are much more interested. I've been talking about it um, passionately. I've I've done a lot of different things for my healing, and I've kind of, if someone says they can help me, I'm like, "Okay, give it a shot." Yeah, let's let's, let's try. Is it mushrooms? I'll try. Are you like got an EMDR, and I got my hands got to go back and forth? Sure. I did hypnotherapy for the first time last week. I'll just I'll try different things. And I'll see. try anything twice because <laughs> the first time maybe you didn't quite. I, I usually try, try things twice, twice <laughs> just to make sure. Yeah. <laughs> gotcha. <laughs> That's something I can, uh, I can, I can learn. So, someone listening to this about breath work, where do they, if if they see okay, there's a breath work course. Anyone can do it. I can give a breath work course today. I watch you do the. Right. So pass it on. Right. But. For someone wanting to get more or less, meaning if someone's going into that first experience and give them a taste of what they think breath work is, mm -hmm. um, I would say, what do you recommend? I would say, go where you first, the first thing that catches your eye, go for it, but don't stop there. Check out somebody else, check out a different angle. There are a lot of people now that, uh, you know, they're big influencers, you know, TikTokers with 100,000 followers. They went, they, they learned one breathing thing last week and this week they're like masters, you know. So, um, and, and there are certain techniques that are just perfect for some people at certain point in their life or for a certain purpose and they have no idea that there's a whole m a lot more out there. So, you know, I would say um, whoever catches your attention, hey, go for go it. Go for it, just don't stop there. Go for it. And then, uh, my, and actually, I teach people, if you find your favorite breathing exercise or technique and you can describe it, then what would be the opposite of that, the polar opposite technique? So, for example, breathing very slow through my nose 
Like, whoa, I love that. I get to be able to say. So what's the opposite of that? Okay, breathing fast in my mouth. Then I would practice that just to make sure that I maintain a certain balance, you know. And, uh, and now I'm getting a broader foundation of breath. I'm not locked into a single pattern. It's like some people meditate. Great, they meditate, but it has to be quiet. They have to light a candle. It has to be in a special place. And but meditation, you want to be able to just like flip a switch in the middle of chaos and be able to find that clear state. And so you have to practice in that environment. You know, if you only practice, you know, in quiet places, great. You might achieve a beautiful state, but what good is it? You know, it's like learning relaxation. Anybody can relax when you got a lot of money in the bank and the kids are healthy and everything's right with the world. Well, heck, anybody can relax then. But can you relax when you're squeezed, when you're pressed, when you're, you're at the end of your rope, when shit hits the fan? That's when it's really that's when it really matters. Needed, and yeah. that's when people can't access it. So I'm a believer in training across a spectrum of, uh, you know, you got to breathe alone, breathe with a partner, breathe in groups, breathe fast, breathe slow, breathe high in your chest, breathe low in your belly, breathe through your nose, breathe through your mouth, practice breath holding, practice hyperventilation. I mean, you just, if you're really interested, if you really want to get the most out of it, then you got to dive into it and don't just pick one little thing and think that you got Right, it, I got know? this technique and I'm... I'm good. Yeah. But something like the Wim Hof is so popular because it's so easy to describe, you know, 30 breaths in and out, hold your breath, you know, so sometimes people just need something that's very... I've done that a number of times. I've never quite understood where it's trying to take me. Do you, do you have a sense You know, of he, we, I mean, I interviewed him. He was in my webinar I did like in, I think, 2013 or whenever, way back. And I knew him before, before he was like famous. I knew him when his wife was alive. I knew him before she committed. So I knew Emin when he was a little kid. So I go way back with Wim. And a good example of that is he never taught relaxation. When he went into cold water, he just, he loved it. He didn't, he didn't make, he loved it. And not everybody loves the cold. <laughs> but that's, that's the key. If you love it, it's not a discipline. You don't have to try. You love it. What's wrong is love it. And so he took a lot for granted in the same way that Leonard Orr took a lot for granted. Uh, Wim Hof never taught relaxation because he just, it wasn't a thing that he thought you'd teach. It was just something that he naturally did, you know? Because he was having fun. Huh? Because he was having fun. Yeah, he was loving what he was doing. And Leonard Orr, who taught, you know, is the father of rebirthing, he never taught meditation because he was naturally meditative. It, it wasn't a thing that he thought you would teach. He was just naturally meditative. So the, sometimes the most important features of these masters, they're not even conscious of themselves. It's just part of who they are, so it doesn't occur to them to teach it. And everybody else is trying to learn, but they're not teaching the one thing that's making the biggest difference, and that's who they are and how they are that's built into their technique, but it would never occur to them to make it a make it a, a part of it so that's, that's why i i encourage my practitioners to learn from different teachers opposite ends of the spectrum and uh come at come at it from the, and then because that's then who you are is going to show up you know it's going to come in and then you'll see you know like i have i kind of know what my superpowers are um, I was never conscious about them. It's like reverse engineering, mm -hmm. you know, other people 
like enlighten you about what it is that you really bring and I wasn't conscious of it I was just being I didn't try to do it it's just what it was right yeah it's just I was just being my natural self and who'd have thought that that was the thing that was most <laughs> important you know so I'm a big believer in preaching that now like just just, just trust yourself just trust yourself you know uh, you tell a little kid oh be good uh-oh, well, the kid's are already good. Now they're going to try to be something and they're going to be warped and twisted, you know, <laughs> like, or I, I, I've been going through stuff with kids, like, you give the little child something, they're like, what do you say? What do you say? Oh, thank you. Okay. The kid was just radiating gratitude. <laughs> was just in full, blissful gratitude. And that's not enough. So saying thank you is more important than being grateful. It's like, we don't realize the lessons we've that's been taught, one. you know? <laughs> and, but the breath uncovers all that crap. That's the one thing I love about breath work. It, it just uncovers all that stuff. It just puts you face to face with a lot of unconscious, automatic stuff you swallowed, beliefs you're not conscious of and breath work is just it's it's powerful in that but you have to be you have to be in the game of healing and growth to like be open to those realizations let's say you mentioned you have kids right yeah i have two sons actually one my younger son died it's been seven oh, years sorry to hear. 42 years old yeah my older son danny's uh still kicking and causing trouble i like it awesome <laughs> When they were young, you were into breathwork, obviously. You've been doing this yeah, 50 years. Yeah, I dragged them to India with me, back and forth across the U.S. and Europe. How young did you start teaching them, and when? at what age did you start seeing benefits? Well, I mean, um, I started, uh, I mean, before they were born, so they were kind of born into it. They've integrated it. Um, they've sort of got all the benefits without the practice. I mean, they're just sort of just hanging out in it. My son, Danny, when he was 11 years old, you know, people were naked in hot tubs going writhing going gnashing of teeth and screaming and he's going you're okay just breathe and people <laughs> go blown away go, oh shit like this if this kid isn't upset what's my problem so <laughs> he was really good to have at seminars because he'll just let people just go through whatever they went through and <laughs> and uh, that's sometimes all people need is just somebody to make it okay for them to just feel what they what they need to feel and express what they need to express and that's not always allowed in your normal. So I've always been a person or a space where people kind of, that's it. Right. With me, you can, I don't, I don't know you. You can be however you want. I don't have any expectations of you. And people sense that, and they allow themselves to feel things that they've never felt before or express in ways they've never oh, expressed. Cool. And I think that's really important, and I like being that for people. You know, like, hey, they're never going to see me again, <laughs> so they, they can let it all hang out around me, and I don't have any judgments, and... Um, and I think that's 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 important. People need that. Like us, something you can even say permission. But you know why? Why should we need permission to be who we are or to feel what we want to feel and need to feel? But that's the kind of upside down world we live in. Somehow, you know, <laughs> <laughs> too many people haven't breathed enough. In terms of being someone who's, you know, kind of very well respected and very well known, walking into the room, there kind of could be two. I've seen I've seen people in that position do one of two things. I want to get your thoughts a bit. One is say, okay, listen, I, if I have guys listening to me real well, then I'll feed into this persona that they're um, that they're putting on me because I can have a greater impact mm -hmm. on them. And I've seen others do everything possible to to shun that. I'm just another guy. 
Yeah. And yeah, I studied this for 50 years, but you probably would have got here if you studied it for 10. Yeah, that's uh, something I'm, I'm dealing with. I mean, I can't deny or pretend that I haven't learned some things and that I, I know my inner state. I, I know I've, I've gotten what a lot of people really want and need, and so I can't deny that. But at the same time, I'm uncomfortable with, you know, the whole guru putting you up on a pedal. So I'm, I'm into self-depreciating, you know, humor and stuff. And I, you know, like I'm, I'm, I like trying to kick the legs out from under any pedestal you try to put me on. Um, but I, I, I've been present for a lot of miracles and like just downright miracles. And I must have had something to do with it, <laughs> even if I was just the witness i mean maybe it needed a witness who knows but so that's a tricky thing is that's that yeah how do you right. do that balance and i'm 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 playing that game i try to keep one foot in each world one foot in each world you know i have my teachers in india you know dare to be omnipotent dare to be omniscient dare to think of yourself as omnipresent i'm like oh god like that's what they say that as a as a good thing yeah yeah, yeah i've seen these with um that's our essence. I come from an infinite source. That must be my nature, right? So uh, I, one thing I learned going to India, everything I was taught about the, from the Catholic Church that was true about God was really true about me. And it was true about God. I don't even, I can't even begin to imagine, you know. And when I, you know, when I ended up in India and, the, you know, the people kiss feet and come down, I'm not a feet kisser. I don't come from that culture. It's in kind of the gurus or the... Yeah, the, but it's kind of... A, for them, it's, it's part of their culture. It's natural. So you kind of put up with it a little bit. Just kind of... Yeah, but it's, I still get a little, a little uncomfortable, you know, <laughs> with it because I know who I am, you know. <laughs> and uh, I got both sides of everything. But I know which side I lean into when I'm under... And that's the thing I look for in people. You know, you can put on a really positive and beautiful state but when they squeeze you then you see something that you never saw come out of them or if you shake them then something comes up that you never saw and i i like to get to that crap early you know like you're okay until we really squeeze you and then we find out who you really are i want to find out who you are right away so i'm gonna i'm gonna poke you i'm gonna squeeze you i'm gonna shake you and i'm gonna get that shit out early i don't want it so, like my my philosophy is put your worst foot forward because then if people are still around, then it's easy. But if you put your best foot forward, you're waiting for that other foot to come and kick in the ass when you least expect it. So, we, you know, everybody's, we, you know, we're all angels, we're all demons. It's all part of our potential. But which way do you lean? Which way is your tendency? In the crisis, in an emergency, when it's necessary, which way are you going to lean? That's, that's what I... That's what I'm looking for. So I've worked with people who are, you know, like killers. But there was something about their heart that, you know, when it came down to something really important, you knew they were going right. to lean in the right direction. Yeah. It was, um, and I've seen a lot of people who are priests and, you know, they're supposed to be whatever. But then you find out that inside, underneath, they're really something very different. And uh, um, that's why I love the breath, because there's something about s connecting to a person's breath that they can't hide who they really are. And as you get them playing with their breath, everything gets revealed. And mostly that gets revealed to themselves, which is that's the whole point, right? So.
That's what you said reminded me of a number of years ago, a business I'm involved in was hacked and the hackers were so professional about their negotiation. (laughs) (laughs) And they were offended when we, you know, when we countered their original offer. And I was like, well, like almost like an honor among thieves kind of thing. So you were saying that. Yeah, uh, I started a lifelong study. I was in when I was in x-ray school, it started me on this process of the one percenters, you know, like. uh, there was a surgeon that was, uh, this was 1970, 69, 1970, and they were just starting to do hip nailings. It was like a new thing. And this guy worked for the company that made the hip mm. nails, and he was traveling around teaching other surgeons. And the surgeons were like giddy. It was like, like wow, I just they, they were seeing dollar signs. You know, whatever. <laughs> and so when he came to the hospital, I was an x-ray technician, so they were calling me up into the surgery to check the position of the pin. I come up, take the X-ray. They check it before they, and you know they're new at it, so they'd be pounding the pin in, and a boop, it pop out. Oop, the boom, 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 put it back in. Boom, boom, boom. So they, you know they're just learning, and um, but when I met this guy, he was like he had the first person I met that had like palpable charisma. He had a presence when he walked in the room. It was just you could feel it. He was such exalted state in a way, you know, in, in his profession. He was one of the one percenters that sort. And so that got me thinking, and when I, when I looked at his breathing and I watched his breathing, it was elegant. It reflected, I thought, wow, this, the way this guy breathes, it exactly fits everything else about him, you know? So I, st- I figured, I'm going to check, you know, like if you're the best in the world at what you do, do you breathe better than the average person? Do you, are you more conscious of your breath than the average person? Do you turn to your breath when the average person would not? I haven't found a single exception. I mean, the best killers, the best bank robbers, the best medical people, the best musicians, the, there's no exception. I found one, I thought I found one over here in Palm in Palm Beach, went to this hedge fund, I forget the guy, he's an Indian guy, I forget his name, uh, but he had a big house party, it was just when my book was launched in 2015, and I got invited over, and I, I asked him, like, he's a, billionaire many times over, I forget his name, definitely, definitely one percenter. So I said, so, you know, do you, have you ever practiced? No, I have never practiced anything. I find that hard to believe. I, you don't use your breath like to manage, no, I don't never think about it. God, he'd be like the first exception. So I, I kind of persisted. I'm, you know, like I just, I refuse to believe that you, some, he goes, oh, wait a minute. He says, no, no, no. He said, like, yeah, when I'm going to bed at night, if something's bothering me and I don't know, I take a long, slow breath. And I, Aha, okay, <laughs> thank you. He goes, oh, wait, there's something else. He says, we noticed that when I would yawn, my wife would yawn, or when she yawned, I would yawn. And so we've been playing this game of yawning together. That's breath work. Phew, good, I knew it. I knew you, were, you weren't absent of it. So it's one of those things. Breathwork is one of those things that helps us to access the highest potentials in us. And if that's your goal and you haven't turned to your breath, wow, when you do, it's going to take you real fast, really far. Thoughts on um, on psychedelics? Yeah, I I did more LSD than I any person has a right to. I was total. <laughs> I loved it. I was in the military at the time, and I was introduced to LSD, and wow, it was it just blew my mind. And uh, and I, I 
I did LSD every day for six months, probably. Wow. I was tripping constantly. For, and I did surgery, and I did rescue, and nobody knew that I was totally tripping. I, somebody came in. With, my ship was one of these showboats. We had two recompression chambers. We had 30 divers. We were this ocean-going tugboat, you know, like very advanced boat and everything. So we'd pull in to some place, and we'd let the public come in and take a tour. So I locked myself in my medical. I was the corpsman on the ship, and I locked myself. And I got nothing to do. I wasn't even measuring anymore. I just took a bunch of purple microdots and gulp them down. So I'm totally tripping. I hear this bow, wow, 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 bow, wow. Someone's banging on my door. Oh, no. I'm like, it's my day off. So I open up the door. Doc, doc, come in, McAllister. Some, one of our guys who worked in the kitchen was serving food hit on some Samoan's girlfriend or mouthed off or whatever, and this Samoan grabbed him and boom, split both of his lips, like wide open. So he was in the bathroom, and I went in there, and he literally had four lips. Both of his <laughs> lips were split open. So he had four lips, and I'm looking at him going, wow, I'm really tripping, but this guy's got four <laughs> lips. And he's going, <laughs> I said, okay, come on in. I lay him down on my table, and God, I could see the cells. I could see the molecules. I took the finest thread I could find. I put a couple of internal sutures in his lips. I put a couple of small ones outside and looked good to me. I sent him over to the hospital and the surgeon came over, wanted to meet who did this work. He was so impressed. <laughs> and I even got a commendation. They made me go out and got this. And I wanted so bad to say, you know, you stupid. I was totally tripping when that happened. So... Uh, but yeah, and the last time I did LSD, it was, I can remember it very well. I swallowed down a bunch. It was big surf in Makaha in Hawaii uh, off the beach, and I swam out past the surf, and I was laying on my back just riding these swells, beautiful blue sky and clouds, and I closed my eyes, and I'm feeling this. Uh, and then I open my eyes, and it's pitch dark, and I'm looking at the stars, and I'm going, wait a minute. I just closed my eyes a moment ago, and then I totally it was 10 o'clock at night i went in the water at two o'clock in the afternoon i look at my watch it's 10 o'clock at night i had drifted and i couldn't even see the island anymore i was out <laughs> in the middle of the freaking ocean and i'm going holy shit i can't i don't know which way to swim to get back to the damn island and fortunately the set of waves swells came and I got up high, and I thought I could see a little glow that wasn't anywhere. So I just started swimming towards that glow. Two o'clock in the morning, I finally hit the beach. <laughs> and that was the last time I did, did LSD. I said, well, I know the ocean loves me. Life loves me. I'm safe no matter how stupid I am. That's a good lesson. I don't think I'll push my luck anymore. And I haven't done LSD since then. That was 1976. Oh, wow. Okay, it's been a while. Yeah. I actually went to prison because of it for selling LSD. And now they're encouraging Navy SEALs to do it. It's part of the mine lab in Virginia. They got SEALs taking LSD. You went to prison for selling LSD? Yeah. Wow. I sold it to an NIS agent. Had no sense of humor whatsoever. <laughs> 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 yeah, it was a nightmare. You know? So you kind of, your use kind of went through the period of um, criminalization? Yeah, yeah. I mean, was I was like in 60s? All my friends, yeah, it was 1970. 70 to 73, and uh, all my friends in Hawaii, part, all my Hawaiian friends, and I, on my boat, there were 90-something guys, 70 of them smoked pot. It was the Vietnam era. I mean, it was the different culture than now. You had the alcohol guys, and you had the stoners, and 
Uh, I was part of a stoner group, and uh, I was a pacifist. And um, so I was dealing, I was a medical person, and I saw that, hey, pop mellow guys out. It really did. It was better than than alcohol, and uh, they didn't get violent, you know. And so uh, I was prescribing, you know, uh, and I had Hawaiian contacts, and so I had really good stuff. And uh, they were bringing Thai sticks in from Thailand. There was a, a air fleet of planes. They took the insulation out of the ribs of the plane, and they stuffed it with bricks of pot from Thailand. And they shipped me over, and I had a friend who was any, so I was just involved in that, young and dumb and stupid, and uh, and uh, yeah, and ended up in jail. And uh, for a while, huh? For a while, for selling pot, and then no, they I said for a while. Well, yeah, I they they had film, they had cameras, they had marked money, they had wit, they had been following me for six months, and they had already I had sold pot to this guy Michael McGee was an NIS agent they put him on my ship on purpose to kind of like you know trap me and stuff and so I didn't by the time they arrested me they already had built this it was a hopeless case I had 22 counts each one was three years it was like oh, oh my god I'm looking at forever in prison and and uh, uh, so we did a pre-trial uh, agreement for three years uh, and they said, because my lawyer said, well, you know, that's, you're not going to get any better than that. And with good behavior, you can be out in 18 months. And I'm still going, fuck, 18 months, holy shit. And I was, that was like bottom of my life. But I caught to it. And then um, I ended up getting clemency. I got a full pardon. Uh, so I was in jail for 69 days. And I got completely released. All my rights restored. How did that happen? A miracle. I have no idea. Somebody liked. I have to this day. I have no idea. <laughs> the gunny sergeant who was in that. Who he was like a, a marine. He had been in Leavenworth. He had been that. Had been his whole career was, in, uh, and uh, he said, "Well, I've never seen this in 30 years." He said, "But I got a letter from D.C. They have. They want to form a clemency board. It's going to be in two weeks. Blah blah blah." And so, I put on my dress uniform. I went into this room. They drove me over there. The senator, Anawi, I think his name was, from Hawaii, the governor, the admiral, the head of the Air Force, the head of the Marines, the Army general, and three people from Washington. It was nine people in this clemency board. And I, I walked in, and there was a woman in charge. And she said, we've been asked to consider to pardon you. Why should we do that? And I was in ecstasy. I had just, I had had the most remarkable awakening and pre when you when you hit bottom something i don't know i just, i was i was a very a part of me said i don't give a shit if you ever let me out but i <laughs> i kind of i gotta say something right when they, so whatever i said I, I i think i said um well i have two sons and i don't want them growing up as with a father as a drug dealer and then so the woman says okay you have any questions you have any questions and that was it. I was in there for a minute and a half. And they said, well, that'll be all. And I left. And I went, oh, shit, that's, you know. And the next day, the gunny came to me. He said, well, they're giving you clemency. So I thought, he said, but they, I have to apologize because we have to send paperwork to Washington. We've got to wait for it to come back. It's going to be at least a couple of weeks. So I can't really let you out. So we'll, your cell door is open. You can come and go, but you have to sleep in the prison every night. So I went home every day, and I saw my kids and my wife, and I went back to sleep in the prison until the paperwork was final. 
And to this day, I don't have no idea how that came about. Other than I literally woke up in prison. I mean, I, I, I hit bottom with my anger. I hit bottom with, I mean, I was the only one who was arrested. I mean, there were guys dealing tons. I was just doing freaking bags, you know, and like right. nobody else went to jail. So I was angry. I was, people I thought were my friends betrayed me. I found out who my real friends were. So it was a powerful life experience, you know. I tried to hide it from my mother. <laughs> I told my wife, look, let my mother think I'm in Vietnam. I'd rather think that I'm going to die in <laughs> Vietnam than know that there are kids in prison for drugs. She goes, well, what, for three years, you're going to hide from us. Let's cross that bridge when we get to it. And as it turned out, it only was 69 days. And I got total clemency. It was just like a freaking miracle. I have no idea. So earlier you spoke about doing... Um like kind of in your workshops, talking about lessons from death. Yeah. So what about lessons from prison? Yeah. Well, I found that I, I, I um, you know, we poison ourselves when we're angry, you know, and I mean, there's just no living with anger. I mean, you know, you have angry bursts, but that's it, <clears throat> and it's free, and it's gone, and it's gone. But to carry anger, oh, my God, that's suicide. I think that just wears away our organs it just depletes our life force if you got any resentments or any anger man you got to resolve it you can't carry that shit and that's what i realized in, in prison that i was just i was carrying that stuff so when you say resolve it i mean how do you let it go right you had a lot to be angry about <sighs> you know your heart opens because anger is a head thing it's not a heart thing it's a head thing it's a gut thing it's a head thing and so when you get into your heart it overrides the head, it overrides the gut. And breathing, it's no accident that the lungs are wrapped around the heart. When you're breathing, you are awakening your heart intelligence, your heart space, and especially if you do it with intention. So just getting into my head got me out of my head. Getting, getting into, into your heart, heart got you out got of your me head. out of my head, justifying why I should be angry and why they blah, blah, blah. And it got me out of my just instinct. You just want like... And so getting into the heart just neutralized those two forces. And I was able to be, come from a place where we'd like to come from, you know? I mean, if you, I have this exercise, we do at our trainings, like, you know, you close your eyes or uh, imagine you're holding a newborn baby in your arms, or if you have a chance, hold a newborn baby in your arms. And you look at the eyes of that baby and what words come to you to describe the essence of that child? And everybody says joy, peace, purity, innocence, love. And I was going to say pure, yeah. Right, purity. And now think of a time when you said something or did something that you sooner or later regretted. And how were you feeling in those moments? I bet you it wasn't that way. I mean, when you look at that child, that's who you're talking about. That's who you are, right? That's our essence. And whenever we're disconnected from our essence, we're going to fuck something up. We're going to screw something up. We're going to do something we regret. So staying connected to our essence is the priority. And breath does that. Every breath. Ramdas taught me that. Man, I was still an x-ray technician in 1970 in Boston. And he gave a talk in the Harvard bookstore. And, you know, he was a Harvard professor who was wearing beads and <laughs> robes and like, whoa, talk about out of the box. So I was very attracted to him. And I got down into that basement in the Harvard bookstore and I interrupted the whole group. I was the last one there. I displaced the last three rows of people when I came in. And then when I got in the door and they closed the door behind me, I was stuck there. There wasn't even any room to sit down and everybody's sitting in perfect lotus positions, also spiritual. 
And I just wanted to get the hell out of there. I was like, oh, man, I was so uncomfortable. I'm like, oh, this was a mistake. And he was talking. And he had all these pregnant pauses. And it was driving me crazy because he was so slow and conscious. And my mind is racing. And I wanted a cigarette. And I want to get the hell out of there. And he looked right at me. I felt like a deer caught in the headlights, you know. And he said, let's do this. I was after he said, the first thing he said was, you were born in this place, in this time, in this family, in this socioeconomic setting, and he had me hooked, and I'm waiting for him to complete the sentence. Instead of completing the sentence, he reaches for a grape, and he looks at this grape, and he's loving this grape, and he chews the grape, and he's in the middle of a freaking sentence. I'm waiting for him to end the sentence. It's driving me nuts. And he finally chews it, he swallows it, he follows it all the way down into his stomach, and then he said, for a purpose. And everything you do and everything that happens to you is grist for the mill of realizing this purpose. And he had me totally hooked. I mean, I, my life changed completely in that moment. And he said, let's do this. He said, when you breathe in, think to yourself, the power of God is within you within me. And when you exhale, think to yourself, the grace of God surrounds me. So we started the whole group, breathing in, the power of God is within me, breathing out, the grace of God surrounds me, like a mantra, mentally saying it with each breath. And I woke up on the Southeast Expressway. I was driving back to New Bedford. I don't remember leaving the bookstore. I don't remember getting in a car. I'm already 20 miles down the road, and I wake up. And this mantra is going, the power of God is within me, the grace of God surrounds me. And I've never been able to take a breath without remembering God, and I've never been able to think about God without taking a breath since that day. I think in NLP they call that anchoring. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he anchored my quest for God to my breath in that, that day. It's never, they've never unhooked. Neat. Super neat. How did we get there? Hmm? Doesn't matter. I'm trying to think what question led to that, but it's okay. Yeah. I, I, earlier you were talking about, just because I'm, I'm reading different books on, um, you know, Buddhism, not Buddhism necessarily, but let's say Buddhist teachers or stuff like that. You had noticed one when you um, came in, autobiography of There's a yogi. There's an interesting uh, connection between Buddhists and Jewish, and I... I it's a phenomenon I've seen since my early days. That uh, a lot of Jews gravitated to Buddhism. Somehow. Yeah, a lot of the something affinity somehow there. Yeah, a lot of the U.S. Um, like the movement in the U.S. around Buddhism, a lot of it was led by Jews. Yeah, searching for spirituality and not finding it within within Judaism. Yeah, yeah. So Pretty cool. I have a I spent a lot of time at the Vipassana meditation. Insight Meditation Center at Barry, Massachusetts, Jack Cornfield and Joseph Goldstein and all those early right. Tia, uh, you know, uh, Vipassana. I think Ram Dass was Jewish. Yeah, yeah I sat Alpert. behind Ram Dass for 14 days, and never said a word. We were in silent retreat for 14 days. Afterwards, during uh, at the meal when we left, I had great conversations. And I thought he had something wrong with his neck because he was wearing a neck brace, but it was how he could, like, he could just relax. He wouldn't have to hold his head up when he was sitting <laughs> up. That was a good trick, you know. <laughs> this episode is brought to you by OKClarity.com. OKClarity.com is the upscale version of ZocDoc for the Jewish world. It is the place for any Jew to find an excellent therapist, psychiatrist, nutritionist, or coach. And it's completely free to use. Every professional on OKClarity is vetted 
and experienced in working, working with the Jewish community so they understand and respect cultural nuances like Shabbos, Shaduchim, and everything in between. What I love most about the OK Clarity platform is how easy it is to use their search and filter system to find the type of professional that you are looking for. They have dozens of providers to take insurance, and you can watch an introvert video of each professional to get a better sense of who they are before taking that first step to reach out, which I get. It's hard to take that first step, but many of us have, fi have found that to be so very worth it. If this sounds overwhelming, they offer a short form for you to complete, and their specialists will recommend the great professional for you, all anonymously and for free. Also, in browsing their Instagram, I found content that I loved, fun and impactful. They are also regularly hosting Instagram live sessions featuring different experts discussing pressing mental health and wellness topics and answering community questions, all anonymously and for free. So if you're not already following OK Clarity on Instagram, and you're using Instagram, you definitely want to. Last but not least, if you have WhatsApp, OK Clarity has an incredible WhatsApp status with over 8,000 followers. And yes, admitted, I am one of them. Their WhatsApp is a free way to improve your mental health, and they post humor. So what did they say? Laughter is the best medicine. Side note, side note, maybe the main note, if you're listening to this and you are a wellness professional, a nutritionist, a psychiatrist, a therapist, a coach, and you are not already on OKClarity.com, here's an important reminder for you that this is a great place to be if you want to reach relevant um, members in the Jewish community, those who need your support and expertise. And one more thing, okclarity.com is offering um, discounts, or in some cases, um, free sessions for those impacted by the war in Israel. Reach out to them, get in touch. Addressing our mental health is the most important thing we can do, especially in difficult times. In, in terms of some of these ideas that you mentioned earlier, like omnipotent, omniscient, and stuff like that for a person, does that, um, like, it it alienates me in some way, and I'm wondering what... Yeah, because, well, in the Catholic, that's also like, a, that's the original sin, thinking that you're God, thinking... Right. But, hey, we come from God, so we have to have the nature, we share the same nature. An apple shouldn't fall apart from the tree, and if my source is God, then... I have a divine essence of some kind, and isn't it my job to express it and to reveal it and to uncover it or discover it in some way? Right, but to suggest a person is all-knowing or a person is yeah, all-powerful. Well, it, it makes you get out of your personhood, because that's the thing. The person is just this personality. It's a mask. It's composed of what do I think, what do I feel, what do I know, what do I like, what do I dislike. That's all personality stuff, and if you can stop identifying with your personality and awaken to who you really are, which is an infinite being, an infinite, unlimited being. And now, um, you know, what's her name? Jill Bolte Taylor, my stroke of insight. It's mm -hmm. one of the most watched TED Talks. I've seen it. She yeah. had a brain, massive brain hemorrhage yeah. in the left brain. And she, I watched her 20 times. I still cry whenever. She gets to the part where she goes, you know, it's like, her identity just dissolved and she was part of this oneness of the universe. And the painful question was, how do I squeeze all this infinite nature into this little tiny body? That's exactly our freaking problem. Once you open to who you are, you can't fit it back in the container. You're forced to transcend your personality. It's not an ego thing anymore. And that's, um, and, and to turn breath work into one more egoic struggle misses the whole point you know that's and that's a very tricky territory to because we need to do something 
But if you do too much, it's all ego-oriented and trying to get ahead, trying to get better. So it's a, it's, a, it's a dance, right? I mean, we have this divine nature, but we're also limited beings. And how do you keep one foot in each world? And uh, I think we're supposed to be, I mean, if spirit's going to work in the world, it's going to work through us. I mean, it's my hands, my voice, my, how else can spirit appear in a way that people can hear and see except right. through our actions and our thoughts and our words so i think it's our responsibility to be to express uh, the highest aspects of us and 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 who is it mandela's speech about you know it's not our our negativity that we're afraid of it's our light that we're afraid of and who am i to be so amazing and glorious and who are you not to be? You know, right, that's why it's Marianne Williamson. Right, yeah. he, he used that portion. She wrote that. But oh, I got He you. used it in his inaugural speech. Oh, okay, I know. It's one of the best parts of his speech. Yeah. And, I, and, Ma and it didn't come from Marianne Williamson either. She got it from, I forget the other poet's name, so it's a combination oh, of I got stuff. You. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But that's, that's, to me, that's like, we can't feel uncomfortable about our greatness. It's a tricky territory because it sounds egoic, oh, I'm so cool, but there's something beyond that we can... That's why letting go is important. <laughs> like letting go. Wow, I'm so great. Sure. Fine. <laughs> All right. <sighs> yeah. And during session, oh, I see God. I see God. Good. Keep breathing. Just relax. <laughs> or, oh, I'm going to die. Yeah, right. Keep breathing. So, I mean, that's the game. We just got to transcend um, a Whatever. lot of stuff that we've identified with somehow. And I think breathing helps us do that more okay. than anything else I've found. I'll leave it as an unanswered question, but regardless, in reading the stuff, it stirred something up in me, which only made me want to read it more. So, Say again? I said in reading those stuff, which I mentioned, like some of those books and seeing those terms, it stirred something up in me, which only made me want to read it more. So Beautiful, yeah. I saw it, and I stuck yeah. a picture of Babaji in that book, by the way, uh, who's, the, who's Yogananda's guru's guru's guru. He talks about him. He materializes and dematerializes and levitates and all that stuff. I put a picture of him in your book. So. Oh, really? Yeah. I, I met him in 1970. Uh, I'm in 1980. He materialized in 1970 in Herakon, and he was around for 14 years till he, uh, they call it Maha Samadhi, where he left his body. Uh, but I was fortunate to live with him for a month, and he's really my greatest inspiration. The source of the modern breathwork movement comes from Herakon, the Shiva, a manifestation of Shiva energy. The, but, um, yeah, so I put a picture of him in because okay, there's a connection. And even the people from the Inner Light Fellowship, the Yogananda followers, when Babaji appeared on the planet, they didn't even recognize him. You would think that they would be the first ones in line to go and see him, but they never, they never uh, recognized him. If, if Yogananda had been around, he would have recognized him, but his followers missed it completely. Uh, do you consider yourself Buddhist? Consider what? Do you consider yourself Buddhist? Buddhist? Yeah. No. I, I, I practice a lot of Buddhist principles. I, I apply a lot of Buddhist principles. I'm still Christian at heart. I'm still, I was raised Catholic, and I think you, uh, I'm not a practicing Catholic. I'm, I'm spiritual, not religious. Uh, I find so many great connections in the breath and the Jewish mystical tradition, like very cool. So I'm curious what you found there. Have you done some, of, some research? In yeah, terms every time we do groups, we trigger big conversations among you guys about <laughs> <laughs> it's like cool like symbol for the breath and fire and different meanings behind the breath and 
different prayers connected to the breath and stuff. And like, yeah, there's a lot of really rich, juicy stuff. Um, and all of the genuine traditions, mystical traditions, spiritual traditions, the breath is always a piece. Every, you won't find any genuine spiritual tradition that doesn't. Right. I'm thinking in terms of practice, breath. it's kind of interesting. It's like sometimes I think there wasn't, and then other times, uh, you know, I'll give you an example. So, you know, through, I, I developed an appreciation for Jewish ritual, kind of similar to what you were saying, through ayahuasca ceremonies. And just seeing the precision that a lot of the shamans mm -hmm. um, led the ceremonies with, I was like, oh, okay, they're trying to, it's, it's not about the cup they're using, it's about the intention behind why they yeah. place that cup right. and starting to pay attention more to that and saying, hey, within Judaism, yeah. there's been a lot of this as well. And then seeing the way they're um, within, you know, the shamanic culture using a lot of different tools, whether it's a plant or a chikapa or a, mm -hmm. uh, a leaf that they're burning or something else, right, in order to, a shaman I work with says, my job is to overwhelm your five senses in order to awaken your sixth. There it is. So yeah. uh, using those tools, and I, in my mind, I was like, oh, Judaism doesn't really have that. But then at the end of, then starting to notice things that I've just been I've done since I was a child, which are actually very much part of the practices. So for example, Sabbath ends, and we do it with, one of, we make a blessing on fire, we also make a blessing on an incense, and we smell it. Right. And I think the symbolism I heard was that Sabbath kind of introduces a level of our soul that isn't active during the week. And as it's leaving, let's smell something like a, a sweet fragrance. Uh -huh. Or then uh, on the holiday that just passed of Sukkot, we're using many different you know, palm trees and leaves and, and all sorts of ways to represent different things. But often when we see it for myself, often seeing the same practices in another religion can sometimes bring up. Right. Little, right. Well, little that's one of the things we do in breath work. I mean, you combine breath work with sound. You combine breath work with affirmations, with movement, with visualization. Um, you know, you, you, you mix those things, and that's what unlocks the power. You know, visualize. So you're breathing. You're not just breathing. You're breathing energy. You're breathing light. Or you, uh, you know, you just connect it to a certain movement. The Sufis have a lot of really great practices of around breath. Yeah, around breath, combining it with movement and thought and so on and prayers and. Um, hey, what if every breath is a prayer? You know, I mean, if you make every breath a prayer, you're in you're in constant prayer. What if, what if you discover or acknowledge that every breath is a blessing? Then you're living constantly blessed. How can you? You can't. I can't hide from that anymore. It's, it's like it's a re, it's a fact, you know. As soon as you have a heartfelt intention and you put the power, the breath behind it, that's a prayer. You oh just yeah. released a prayer. Yeah. And uh, you feel grateful for breathing. You know, it's like wow, the the breath itself is a blessing. What's my problem? How can I get upset if I I must have to forget this stuff, right? Get caught up in superficial stuff and get disconnected from the deeper truths and maybe that's what the whole the, the highest application of breathwork is right to reconnect us to these deepest highest truths and there's a lot of other benefits along the way and right. uh, but i think I'm, I'm into what is the highest what's the maximum potential that we, if you're gonna if if you're gonna use breathing for something get rid of your headaches lower your blood pressure ah, that's easy get rid of your asthma control stress anxiety those are all good working topics because they're epidemics but what about beyond that you know what, what's some higher application of breath work i'm always 
I'm looking for it in people that come to me because every now and then somebody will. Oh, interesting. You learn something from them. Yeah, yeah. You get, that happens a lot. That's one of the beautiful things about breath work. It's sometimes who's teaching, who's leading, who's following. Everybody, it doesn't matter. We get caught up in something bigger than both of us and we're both, you know, we both benefit. It's one of the really beautiful things about it. Right. Yeah, I noticed at some point in the breath work you got into your own. When I came out, you were lying down breathing. Uh-huh. You know, yeah, I, I'm, I mean, I have practices. I have, you know, I teach a lot of different techniques and exercises, but mostly it's just playing with your breath and I'm, I'm following. I'm being guided by my breath a lot. I'm, I'm, when I was with Swami Rama, the last night I, I left Swami Rama, he's got, if you haven't studied him, he's great. He, he was in the Honesdale, Pennsylvania, the Himalayan Institute. He came to the U.S. in the early 70s. Swami would be the equivalent of saying like father or yeah, rabbi. Yeah, Swami's a, like a, yeah, a term of respect or... Right, a reverence. Yeah, a reverence yeah. of some kind, yeah. But here's science of breath and living with the Himalayan masters. If you're reading Autobiography Yogi, Swami Rama's book, Living with the Himalayan Masters, is really powerful. And he's got uh, science of breath, the path of fire and light. He was a good... A prana yogi came over to the U.S., he went to the Manager Foundation. Originally, there was a, heart, a cardiac guy and a neurologist, neurosurgeon. They were his two first devotees because he held his breath for 17 minutes, which impressed the hell out of these medical people, going, this is impossible. And then they set him up over there in Homestead, Pennsylvania, and I went and studied because he's a, his job in life was to can't pass on this tradition, very strict, not adding, not subtracting. He was very you know loyal. And I'm just the opposite. I'm a disruptor. I'm irreverent. I'm, you know, I'm a rebel. I'm an unorthodox and all that. And, but, you know, when I was with him, I, you know, he was my teacher. And then one day I, I was there early in the morning. I got up and I had this amazing, very clear message that, wow, I can learn. The breath is intelligent. The breath is alive. I can learn to breathe from the breath itself. And it was kind of like, I don't need a teacher because the breath itself can be my teacher. And anyway, it was just so clear. And it was like one of these grasshopper, you know, like mm-hmm. you've solved a Zen koan or you've discovered a thing. So I couldn't wait to tell him that day that, you know, wow, I got this amazing insight that we can learn to breathe from the breath itself. I thought it was just such a powerful, brilliant insight, you know. And so I was waiting to talk to him. He was playing tennis. He was a hell of a tennis player, playing tennis. And then afterwards, we're walking toward the thing. So I see you have something on your mind. I said, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I told him, and I thought he would go, oh, you've graduated. You know, you're good. But instead, he looked at me like I was the stupidest person. And he goes, can you learn how to get to the moon from the moon itself? I went, uh, no. And that was the last day I was with <laughs> Swami Rama. I went and packed my bag. And, well, I'm done with this teacher. Time to move on. I've gotten everything I can get from here. <laughs> And that's what I, my whole breath work, my whole life has been like that. Just if anybody knew anything about breathing, I was either kissing their feet or breathing down their neck until I could get whatever I got from them. And I went to the next one. And um, That's neat. Because I, I don't think there's any one right way. You, what we need is we need a broad foundation and many things. And, and each of us has to kind of put together our own tool chest. Right. And it's unique to us may help some other people if something helps you you got a belly button they got a belly button 
probably help them too. <laughs> but we each have to have our own way. I think if you're walking somebody else's path, man, you're walking the wrong path. But it's scary yeah. to walk your own path in yeah. this world. There's not a lot of support for it. You know, how can 20 million Buddhists be wrong? How can, you know, a billion Christians be wrong? How can, it's like, who are you to think that you've got your way? It's scary to, like, really walk your own path. And uh, that's what I've been trying to do, actually. You know, it got me in a lot of trouble. Don't get a lot of support for it. But everybody seems to be able to get something, take some little piece, you know, and that's been one of my lessons. I tend to overload people, and they really just they just want a little bit. Right. And so, you know, and I, I'm not... I'm trying to give them way too much, you know, like, here, here's a hundred things, and if one thing sticks, great. And uh, so one of my disciplines is, you know, like, giving people little bite-sized thing to practice, and then go home and practice, and then come back, and we'll take another little step. But I, I myself don't learn like that. I don't have the patience for that kind of one. Just put me in the deep end of the pool, and if I make it, great, and if I don't, well. Right, your book is kind of like that, you know, it's... You know, section by well, a breath, another breath, another breath, another breath. Yeah. You know? Thank God for editors. Because <laughs> when I wrote that book, Simon & Schuster, and I have the opposite author story of most people. You know, you write your epic book and you send it to 100 publishers and you get 100 Dear John letters back, you know, like, thanks, but no thanks. They called me out of the blue. Like, well, how the hell does that happen, you know? And gave me an advance, you know, like a, an unknown, untested author. So, like, holy crap. And, uh, and I wrote this epic 35-chapter, uh, 120,000 words, and my contract was for like 60 or 70,000. So when I submitted the manuscript, my editor said, oh, we can't even look at it. I said, what do you mean? He says, your contract says you only got, you can't be more than 70,000 words. That's, that's what editors are for. What? Edit it, <laughs> do your thing. No, we can't even give it to the editor. So I went into paralysis. And they brought in this big gun, Emily Hahn, who she she edited The Secret. She edited that Omoto's Water book. She's a heavy hitter editor. And she's the one who just, like, made it so easy. <laughs> and then, you know, they have a copy editor. They have a story editor. They have a line editor. And uh -huh. then they have some final edits. Like, you know, dealing with Simon & Schuster is like the Queen Mary. And everything goes through departments. And if you get so far along the path and you want to make a change, you got to go all the way back to the beginning. And I didn't know everything was about word count in publishing. I, I thought word count, who gives a shit? There's a word here or there. But they had already laid it out and, and I, we come to, there was a point when there was no chapter on the difference between nose breathing and mouth breathing. And I've said, wow, that's something every seminar I've ever been to, somebody asked about that. I can't publish the book without addressing that question. They said, well, it's gonna accept the pages and the footnotes and then references and we're gonna have to go back to the beginning. I'm going, well. <laughs> I don't know what to tell you, but my contract says everything is by agreement of the author and the publisher. I hadn't asked for anything. I surrendered to everything they told me, and this was the one thing. So they had asked me to do a chapter on detoxing, and I had a little bit to say, but they wanted, like, a lot. So I said, well, I'll tell you what. I'll take 57 words out of the detox chapter because my the nose nose chapter, N-O-S-E-K-N-O-W-S, is 57 words. So if I take 57 words out of the detox chapter and put it in here, it's not going to upset anything. They said, oh, okay, do that. So <laughs> ta -da, I got it in. And then, uh, and she, she was the one who like helped me just see the forest through the trees. She said, well, 
you know, what would you say? You talk about benefits of spirit and benefits of mind and benefits of a body. What if we put the book in those three sections? I said, oh, that's a good idea. She said, okay, so go through all the chapters and just put, is it S for spirit, M for mind, or B for body? And then the more I looked, I said, you know, that's the thing about breathwork. You can't separate those things. Breathwork teaches us that there is no body, mind, and spirit. They're all emotions. They're all connected. It's a continuum. They're not separate, fragmented things. That's the problem. Breathwork makes that whole. So I said, I don't know. Is it spirit? Is it mind? It's all three. I didn't know how to... So I just made it up. I didn't even look. I just put SMB, BMS, MBS. I just made it up. <laughs> I said, because I was just torturing myself trying to figure out which one of those it was. And then she sent me back the book with like um, 40,000 words and said, here, just add 20 more thousand words to it. So oh, they made it. And I, so I have a great respect for editors. You know, people say, wow, the book reads really well. I said, wow. That's because of editors. I know they're worth their weight in gold. Oh, editors. Yeah. So does that every time I try to edit it, <laughs> it got bigger, and they wanted me to make it smaller. So I said, "I'm not the guy." I keep getting new ideas, and so I'm. I can't. I, I got to leave it alone. Somebody else has to do something with it. So, <laughs> so they took it from 120,000 to 40,000. They took it down, yeah, all the way down to, I think it's like 60. Did you recognize it when you got it back? Like, would you know it was your writing? Yeah, because I put the last 20,000 words in, and uh, and she took literal quotes from all the chapters and arranged it very nicely. I wouldn't have thought to, like, give it such structure. I was all over the place with the chapters and stuff, and so, yeah, she, it helped to... And I should read it. I haven't even read my own damn book in several years. I'm working on the next one, and I thought, well, maybe I should go through and read my book again just so I can remind me of some things that I wanted to say and didn't say. And that right. little thing we practiced today, one big, two little breaths, one big breath. Yeah. I mean, I just started playing with that recently in the last month. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, yeah. Neat. So I'm, I'm still stumbling over things yeah. and finding little hacks and little places, so... Okay, neat. Thanks so much. I look forward to the rest of uh, the day yeah, and the rest of the stuff. We'll be, yeah, uh, we'll take a deep great. dive. Yeah, yeah. And uh, you said again, December is the one week long with uh, Anochi. And if people want to learn more about you, yeah, your book, breathmastery.com. Breathmastery.com. Yep, breathmastery.com. I'm on Instagram at Dan Brule Official. Uh, it's pretty easy. Google Breathwork. It's hard to avoid me at some point, but breathmastery.com is a shortcut. Awesome. Yeah. Thanks so much, Dan. Hey, thank Appreciate you. Appreciate coming out. Thank you. Learned yeah. a lot. Thanks. Right. I learned one thing, actually. Yeah? <laughs> no, good. No, you had said before, so we can take one thing. Good. Take one thing. That's take one good. Thing. So, no, I really appreciated the way you um, just take from a bunch of different stuff and are cool with that. There's no, this is the guy and this is the way. I've thought that once. Mm. So myself, like, is there any chance that I grew up, like, I was born into the right religion, into the right subgroup, into the subgroup of the, like, Right for me, sure, but like the only truth is in this one, because that's the way it felt like it was taught to me. Yeah, yeah. and um, yeah, me too. I mean, we yeah. were supposed to—I was supposed to grow out to be a priest. I mean, all this one, and I like too many things that priests weren't supposed to do. And <laughs> <laughs> I got kicked out of the altar boys, and so that was like so traumatic shit. I couldn't even make altar boys, never mind priesthood. But some part of me became a priest on one level or another, you know. Same thing with doctor. I wanted to be a doctor, but I couldn't imagine four years of college, four years of medical school, and then another like that. <laughs> but I ended up being kind yeah, of a something like a healer, yeah, a, for sure. Yeah, so yeah, absolutely. 
All right. I look forward to uh, again to this evening. Good. Thanks so much. Yeah. Thank you.